Hi, I'm Jimmy Navio. Hi, how's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of Hit the Bucket. My name is Jimmy Navio, and we have a great show in store for you guys tonight. Before I bring on my co-host James28 and our very special guest, You Heart Beast, just want to cover a couple things. Reminder, this show is recorded live on twitch at twitch.tv forward slash jimmy navio if you want to come participate you're more than welcome uh i also like to put that disclaimer out there because if you're listening to this on itunes or google play spotify whatever platform you're listening on uh there are times where we shout out to chat or we answer a question randomly out of the blue that's why this is happening live on twitch so uh stop by say hi and also Make sure you go check out the YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube and uh, search for Hit the Bucket Podcast. We edit these episodes and we upload them there for you guys to watch if you're unable to watch them live as well. So we're all over the place. In fact, we recently got listed on Google, which I'm super excited about. If you go Google Hit the Bucket Podcast, we'll pop right up. So uh, go check it out. Our guest today, like I mentioned, his name is You Heart Beast. Uh, he's fairly new to Twitch, but he's been around for quite a while. He has a YouTube channel where he creates uh, both game dev and pixel art kind of tutorial videos. James has known about him for many moons. And in fact, James invited him to come be on the show with us. So I'm super excited to have him with us. We're going to get to know him a little better. And later on, we have some hot, fresh Chiefs beef for you guys. So uh, let's go ahead and bring them on and I'll switch over to our view here. If you guys want to unmute yourselves. Hi. Hey, <laughs> how's it going? Uh, so real quick, James, uh, before we get any further, why don't you uh, explain to us how you discovered you Heart Beast and how, how long you uh, have known about him? How long has he been on your radar? All right, well, let's see. I was a young lad in middle school and, you know, like all boys my age, we were like, I want to learn how to make video games. So at the time, I, I used the tools I had available to me, YouTube. Go on YouTube, Google, you know, Game Maker Tutorial, because that was the program that I knew and that I had available to me. They had a like a demo version. So I, I Google and I first, I actually found the guy that I first saw tutorials from, Mr. Fancy Penguins. He doesn't upload anymore, but he was the first guy. And then later on, around four years ago is when I dis discovered Heartbeast Tutorial on how to make an RTS because that's what that was the thing I wanted to do but it also turned out making an RTS in Game Maker was a really poor decision <laughs> it's not the <laughs> the best engine to do that type of thing in but it you know it was a trial and error dip my toes in the in the world of game dev and been following him ever since nice yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny because when I went back to school for computer science, uh, my first year, there's, there's obviously it gets weeded out real quick. That first year, there's so many people in the program that are like, I play video games and I like playing video games, so I want to make video games. And you're like, they're not the same. <laughs> like programming is completely different than your passion for video games and i that first year a lot of people get weeded out because like it's tedious and it's not easy and there's there's a lot of uh you know there's coding there's design there's 
there's so much that goes into it. So I'm really excited to get kind of your perspective on it. Uh, wh- what can I call you for short? Should I call you Heart? Should I call you Beast? Uh, ben. Ben. <laughs> yeah, just Ben works great. We're gonna use the real name. We usually stick to people's screen names, so I might call you Beast, and I apologize, but I'll try and call you Ben. <laughs> okay that's fine all right so ben how long have you been doing game dev so i started at a similar age actually uh when i was about 15 i don't remember whether i looked it up online or something i was actually i was taking a computer-aided drafting class at my high school and i was caught up on it was it was a very I really liked the class actually because it was very, you just had assignments that you had to get done, like projects that you had to get done by the end of the year. So I'd already done all the projects and it wasn't the end of the year yet. So I was guaranteed an A at this point. Uh, So I was just sitting in the class trying to figure out something to do. And I ended up searching Game Maker or making games and found Game Maker. And at the time, I think it was Game Maker 5. Uh, So it was a long time ago. And that's what got me started. And I didn't know anything about programming. So I kind of had to learn that as I, as I went, but I discovered uh, some of the different online communities that there were, that were active at the time, really active, like the, the game maker community and stuff like that. And I was able to kind of figure stuff out as I went along. So back then, like that's before, I mean, was it just like message boards, forums, IRC channels? Like what, like what were you, where were the, where'd you find those resources back then? It was forums mainly. There was an official Game Maker forums called the Game Maker Community. And that's where, that was the most, at least that's where I spent most of my time. There were a couple websites too, like I think GameMakerGames.com or something where there's some different games uh, and you could upload your own games. And so mo- mainly in forums, uh, that's where I spent most of my time. People would post their code, you know, projects that you could download and look at how people did stuff. And they would also post full games to kind of play with. And so that would get me excited about it too. I'd be like, oh, they did that. I wonder how they did that. You know, it was really empowering to see some, because some there were some really really great games already being made with game maker clear back then and most of them were free so it was really fun to see these games and think oh if i had the knowledge i could do that too absolutely yeah mm-hmm. I, that's the that's the same way i kind of this whole podcasting is still really new to me and it's just like oh i just if i figure out these few pieces like you get excited about it you're like oh i'm so close to like doing that thing that i want to do you know that's really cool um by the way james side note i don't know if you heard what he said earlier uh it's my job to give you crap so uh did did you hear how he finished the course well before the deadline so he was able to spend his time doing (laughs) other things did you hear that part i did yes (laughs) (laughs) i i give him i give him crap about being a, a master procrastinator don't I've gotten better. <laughs> I, I had three assignments due tomorrow. I finished one six days ago, the second one yesterday, and the last one's going to be done tomorrow morning. I'm proud of you. That's Getting good. Faster. I'm a procrastinator too. Was, I just really liked that class. In high school, I thought I was going to be a computer-aided or a 
a computer. I thought I was going to be a draftsman, but with computers. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what that's called now. I wanted to go into mechanical engineering and and mm-hmm. build car parts in 3D and stuff. That's what I wanted to do in high school. So that, the class was, the, it was like the exception to the rule because most of the time I kind of procrastinate too. I think with stuff like that, school, anyways. Right. Yeah. So did you um, what did you go to school for? Did you go to college? What did you finish a degree in something? What you what you do? Yeah, so I have, I, I didn't actually ever finish my bachelor's. I do have an associate's degree and I went into computer science. Okay. And so now do you do uh, the game dev and, uh, you know, so we'll get into your business model a little bit because it's really interesting to me. We kind of talked about it before. Is that pretty much your full-time gig, the YouTube and the courses and all that stuff? Yeah, currently it's what I do full-time. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Well, that I mean, that takes a certain amount of uh, effort. P- people, I don't know. Like, it's hard to build your own business. So it's always uh, like I admire that people who can stick with it. And, you know, b- you got to build a clientele. You got to build your brand. You got there's so many things that go into like and you're I feel like owning your own business like you probably never sleep you're always thinking about like you know mm-hmm. what can i do like oh i gotta get another video out i gotta get a you know i know you're working on a game right now too right yeah yeah i'm working on a game right now called end hall it's a little turn-based it's kind of like what if chess were a roguelike each new board that you see in sequence has its own kind of unique solutions and there's multiple ways you could solve it and uh but I definitely agree that doing your own business, it's like working from home even, I think just whenever you're home, you're working is what it feels like. And so that can be exhausting. Sometimes I have to try and work hard to separate work hours with actually I'm at home hours and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. Have like a, a special room. Like when I walk into this room, it's business. Yeah, Mm-mm. that I yeah that would be hard. It's hard not to be in go mode all the time. But the opposite is probably also true. Like when you're not going into an office and answering to a boss or anything, there's probably times where it's easy to just be like, eh, I could do it later. <laughs> like you got to be really self motivated. I tried doing online school, and I just I couldn't do it. Like I was not self motivated enough. Uh, Lady Navio, on the other hand, finished an online degree at the same school that I tried to go to, and she actually did it. So I don't know. It takes a certain level of like I I, I have mad respect for people that can do that. I definitely I definitely feel like my business kind of has uh maybe a tide to it is a way to put it like sometimes there are times where i work crazy hours and you know and then sometimes it slows down a little bit and it's a little bit slower i try and have like a minimum something that i do every single day sure uh like small tasks that i do every single day as like a minimum so that even if i have days times where i'm not working as crazy that it's like I'm still going to make progress during those times and I'm not just not doing anything. And that's, that seems to help, but, and I don't do anything super crazy. You know, I'm not working like 80, hundred hour weeks or anything. I'm, I'm careful not to do that kind of stuff, but burnout. 
Yeah, burnout. I'm careful to avoid burnout, but there are definitely times where I work more hours and times where I work less and it kind of fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of why I have this problem procrastinating. Since I do all my work in my room, it's really hard for me to differentiate like study mode from just video game mode because it all happens in the same place. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard because I know some people they like that work from home. They have like two separate rooms. One is just for work. The other one for gaming or leisure activities because of that mindset going into it. Yeah, yeah. literally everything I do is on a computer. So like it's really easy to just open the browser and be like, oh, what's trending on Reddit right now? You know, <laughs> like it's- Reddit, Reddit is evil <laughs> for that kind of stuff. It distracts me. Sometimes. Yeah, you, you have to be careful with Reddit because, yeah, <laughs> spend hours on there just doing absolutely nothing. You're like, I, yeah. I am no better or smarter. I mean, I learned about some random dude who got bit by a snake, but other than that, I this was probably a complete waste of my time. Yeah, it's a bunch of today I learned. And you're like, but does it actually help me to know that? You yeah. know, there are yeah, the, there the is value. time. Go ahead. I felt like I was learning was when I would peruse the the game makers game maker subreddit a lot. I'd be like, oh, what kind of questions are people asking? Like, what can I take from here? And then a lot of it is like, what kind of question is this? Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very hit or miss in there. It is very hit or miss because there are valuable resources. There's subreddits that I'm a member of where I feel like, you know, I uh, what's the one uh, I subscribe to just so it would force me to pay more attention to it was personal finance. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good subreddit because like posts will come up and I'll be like, oh, oh, yeah, I should probably do that. Or, oh, I'll learn from that guy's mistake. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's in general, there are good resources, but there's a lot of noise. So it's it, you got to be real careful when spending time on there that you're using it well. I've I've wasted days upon days just going down Reddit rabbit holes. So uh, going back to gaming a little bit uh, with regards to the tools that you use um you guys have talked mostly about game maker studio so is that is that pretty much your primary like most of the stuff that you've done is game maker studio kind of your your main tool yeah i i've been using godot engine which is an open source game engine i've been using it quite a bit more recently and so i'd say at this moment my content's more kind of split 50-50 between the two. But since I started, I've my, I think I started my business four or five years ago, um, or at least started YouTube videos four or five years ago. Uh, and it was all Game Maker back then. And so the majority of my content is still Game Maker stuff. Why, why the switch to Godot? Is there any... I feel like Game Maker is a very... Sp- it's a tool for specific problems, I think, and it's really good at those those specific problems. So there are certain kinds of games that probably if, you know, you should just use Game Maker for them because it's going to be so good at those kinds of games. But I've been exploring other types of games recently, and Game Maker can do those kinds of games. It just 
it lacks some of the tools that I would like. And so Godot engine tends to have those. And, and technically some of the stuff that game makers good at Godot is a little bit slower at, and some of the stuff that Godot is good at game makers a little bit slower at. So it's just nice to have two kind of engines, two tools under my belt that I can pick the engine that's going to work best for the project that I'm working on at the moment. Right. It's kind of the right tool for the right job type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, uh, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a chance to be brutally honest. Why is Game Maker Studio trash? <laughs> Why is Game Maker Studio trash? If there was like, oh, if man. there was like one or a couple things that like every time you use it, you're like, why the hell does this happen? Or like, if there is there something that like, is there like that pet peeve every time you use it? Why is it trash? I want to know. Oh, let's see. Well, I'm using Game Maker Studio 2 and my biggest pet peeve with it at the moment is uh, workspaces. They introduced a new workspace system. Um, previously, they used Windows and now they have workspaces. And it's kind of like workspaces are kind of like a personal preference thing. Some people really like them and other people don't really like them. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't doesn't really like them. Maybe I'm just too used to how it was before and mm-hmm. I still haven't quite shifted over to the new system. But workspaces, they tend to it feels like it's slowing me down a little bit is the best way to put it. I'm trying to make something in the workspace system slows me down, but I could just be bad at it too. Mm-hmm. Like you're just an experience with the new system, like you said. Yeah, like, or or the old system is tainting the way I use the new system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I come into it fresh and figured out how to use workspaces in a really quick way and stuff. But I mean, it lays everything out visually. Like, you know, you've got this big workspace and you have things in certain spaces, but I don't tend to remember where stuff is. So I find I just search for everything anyways, when I need to, when I need to access it instead of actually, you know, navigating the workspace to find it. Sure. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty significant change that they kind of just like forced upon the new version and everyone, they're like, everyone's using workspaces now. Yeah, I mean, there, there are ways to kind of work around workspaces, but it's not still not quite the same as it was before. So technically, you don't have to use the workspaces because you can kind of just search for everything. And that's kind of what I do. But yeah, it was it was definitely a little bit of a shock for me when they introduced it. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's interesting. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the same type of thing. I use workspaces for, you know, a lot of most, uh, software development tools. They have the idea of workspaces where it kind of saves all your settings and where everything is and all that stuff. Is it that, is it that type of thing? It's more like a giant whiteboard with sticky notes on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a little and different. So- each sticky note is like an object in your game or a sprite or some resource. And so like you could, you can zoom out and zoom in and scroll around and navigate the workspace. But I just, like I said, I generally find myself just searching for stuff anyway, instead of actually navigating Mm -hmm. it. So you also, besides game dev, you also do, uh, you know, I, I watched quite a few of your clips and a lot of your clips are just you like, 
zoomed in on a little box and you're like designing pixel art like you're just drawing pixel by pixel making a dragon or making a wizard or whatever so you do quite a bit of work with just 8-bit like pixel design and sprites and things like that was that just uh, a result of you wanting to do everything yourself or just kind of what how, how did that come about because there's game dev and then there's graphic design and they're kind of sometimes are two separate things but it seems like you do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. yeah i think i was actually talking with my wife about this a little bit but uh i think i tend to as a person i tend to like have you ever heard of the 80 20 rule which i'm vaguely familiar with it but you can explain I think it. so yeah 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 so like um, 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the payout, the payoff, and then the last 20% of the payoff takes 80% of the work, uh, right? Like, so you can get, you can make, you can make a lot of progress in the first 20% of your, of your learning, your effort. And I tend, my personality, I feel like I tend to enjoy doing that first 20% in a lot of different areas. <laughs> I'm the exact same way. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what attracted me to game dev initially was because I could do, I I wanted to be able to, I enjoyed doing so many things. I grew up doing art. Uh, I was, I did a lot of artwork growing up and then I discovered game development, which uses art and music and I did music growing up. And so like, I just felt like it was like all of the things that I was interested in that I'd put like the first 20% into, sure. they all kind of came together into game dev. And so because of that, I was like fairly well-rounded uh, to where I could make my own games without help from anybody. And so that's that's part of why I learned to do pixel art was just because I wanted to do games and I wasn't going to hire somebody else to do it. I wasn't, I didn't have like friends that did game development. Uh, so I, I just kind of figured out how to do it on my own. Luckily I have a brother that does, that does music for me. So I don't have to do music anymore. Nice. Um, but in some of my first, my earlier projects, I did the music and stuff too. So I think that's what got me interested in game development and why I love game developments because I can jump around to all the different areas and kind of uh, get good at all of them but never like master them there's always going to be somebody out there who's a better programmer than me and there's always going to be somebody out there who's a better pixel artist than me and there's always going to be somebody out there who's better at music than me you know but I can get good enough at all of them to make a really great game uh, and that's that's what I like Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I always had trouble with. I was very good with the uh, the coding aspect of it, but then whenever it came to the graphics, I was like, huh, I got a bunch of cubes. <laughs> These are my objects. This is the character. The boss is a larger cube. I shoot cubes <laughs> at the other cube. And it's like, now how do I go from here without spending a lot of money to hire someone to do all the art? Because I remember when you went on the was it the Game Maker podcast? I'd pose that question, you know, like how do you go forward in the process when you're not really good at art? Because watching you, you just like, it's like watching a sculptor with marble. (laughs) You just like start off with a black figure and I'm like, oh, what's he doing with that? And then it's like, now it's a thing. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to watch. A lot of people run into, I think, uh, because 
because they they do tend to be kind of separate worlds sometimes the programming and the art side of it and and so you know there are a lot of programmers out there who struggle with artwork and and they they have really cool ideas and they're really good at programming and they can make it but then they get stuck at the artwork side and that's that's a tricky that's a tricky problem because there's no like one right answer to it mm-hmm. yeah just keep drawing just keep drawing those square boxes james <laughs> if the yeah. gameplay is solid no one will notice oh, it's so solid the mechanics are so smooth <laughs> nice so um in in re- in relation to specifically pixel art and the work that you do just like james said where you've got like you know you turn a black square into like a wizard or a dragon are you able to like break down like if you were to give me three do's and don'ts of like pixel art like if like if someone were to be like i i want to i want to design this or i want to start on this or like where like are there are there some easy like lessons that you learned early on some do's and don'ts for creating solid pixel art yeah yeah there's I think there, especially if you're first learning, there's some steps you can take to really increase the pace at which you can you can learn and get better at it. I think there are a lot of people out there who think talent is inborn. Um, I think interests are more inborn. Like people are interested in something that's kind of born into them, and then they kind of they kind of focus on that. So then people call it a talent. They're like, oh, you're so good at that, you know. Uh, but I think it takes hard work still. They're just interested in it. So it doesn't feel like work, but the things that I would say are first off, start small with the canvas size. So like 32 by 32 pixels, because you're going to, if you start with a huge canvas size, uh, and a huge project, then you're going to spend forever on something and not learn a ton from it. Cause it's better to do a lot of smaller quicker projects sure. uh, than it is one giant one. So start small. And then uh, in, and I actually have a Udemy course on Pixar. And in the Udemy course, I teach people that they should start off with basic shapes. So squares, circles, and triangles. Um, and then you kind of, you kind of sculpt, uh, you sculpt those basic shapes into slightly more complex shapes. And then you can add, I usually recommend people start with a smaller color palette too, like three shades of each color in your image. So like, let's say you're doing uh, a zebra. So you've got black and white. I would have three different shades of the of, of black and three different shades of white um, for doing like your, your, your lighting and stuff. So you keep it really simple that way instead of having tons of colors instead of having a huge canvas you try and make things simple when you're starting off and that and then do a lot of those because you can do them quickly because it's a small canvas and there's only a few colors and you're using basic shapes and so you can do that really quick and practice you can fail fast i guess and learn you you can learn faster that way yeah, that's that makes sense. I mean, if you if you restrict yourself to like that small area and that limited palette, it may, like it it makes sense if I were to relate it to because I have a music background as well. I took piano lessons as a kid, and I relate it to like you know 
no one's gonna hand you for Elise like when you first start playing piano right you're gonna learn like Mary had a little lamb or something first mm-hmm. and it, it makes sense that if you can get the fundamentals down in a little 32 by 32 box with those basic colors and still make it look like something then you can slowly kind of scale it up from there and get more comfortable with those larger color or those larger palettes and more colors and stuff huh. mm-hmm. Is there is there one big uh, other than don't start with a large canvas? Is there one big don't like don't put a black border around everything? Or <laughs> that one's controversial. <laughs> um, I know that's why really I said it. <laughs> I would say I would say don't pillow shade. <laughs> pillow shading is where you go around the entire edge of something and you shade it in from the edge. Uh, basically, you need to start with a strong light source in your in your uh, in your reference or in your pixel art project, whatever you're working on, and uh, keep that light source. Make sure that you're drawing where the lights are hitting and where the darks, where your shadows are going to be, and you don't shade just all the way around around it because pillow shading just it really hurts my eyes (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and it doesn't like i think i get what you're saying it it it, it makes it feel like everything's kind of floating and disconnected too right because there isn't a a standard like like you said a point of light or reference that passes through everything so it just feels like it's a bunch of weird floaty stuff out in space rather than a cohesive scene yeah, it loses it loses the shape. Everything turns into a pillow. That's probably why they call it pillow shading, you know, because you don't have the same you don't have the shape that's there. When you're when you're doing your highlights and your shadows, you're trying to show the shape of of the object in 3D space. And uh, if you just pillow shade it, it makes it look like a giant pillow. <laughs> Whatever mm-hmm. shape it was before, it's now a pillow. <laughs> so what are I because you know I kind of dealt with this a little bit like I said you know when I went to school for software development and you know there's obviously people who are aspiring to go into game development what would you think some of the biggest uh, misconceptions about game development are hmm Uh, uh, maybe for like beginners people getting into game development what what are some things they're going to believe that aren't true is that kind of what you're asking yeah like you know like someone's coming into it for the first time and they're they're they've got you know because you as part of your uh for those who don't know uh he's got a uh um what's it called a patreon and your ten dollar tier uh you give people access to your discord where they can like one-on-one like ask you questions and stuff right so like Mm -hmm. just within your experience with people you deal with and kind of being a part of that world and creating tutorials for people what are some of the biggest like misconceptions that people have coming into this world of game dev i think with my experience it's been that um beginners beginners can make complicated games uh, as much as you tell somebody uh, this course or this video series or this video is intended for beginners, uh, a lot of the time they'll do it 
anyways, even if they're a beginner. And if they run into an error message, then they don't know how to handle it yet because they're still a beginner. And so, you know, they're just kind of following along the steps, but then they run into an error message and what do you, what do, you do now? You know, it didn't work the way that he was telling me it would if I did what he did. And I think that's the biggest mis misconception um, and I'm not saying it's bad for beginners to do stuff like that because I think it stretches you a little bit when you run into problems. Uh, it's a learning experience. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a learning experience. But if you're a beginner, don't expect to be able to make your dream game right away. Yeah. You've got to start with smaller stuff. Just like with the pixel art, you've, you've got to start with, you know, uh, Pong or whatever. you got to start with smaller stuff first, even, even if you do a tutorial series that shows how to make you know start an rpg or start whatever it is um, when you go to make your own things you're going to have to start small still and that's okay i think that's the biggest thing that i've run into is that people expect to just be able to make their dream game right away when they first start learning mm -hmm. yeah i had that exact issue <laughs> i want to make the next call of duty yeah, I was like, I'm going to make this RTS with all these systems and stuff. And then it's like, wait a minute. I have no idea how any of this works. <laughs> I know without a, a formal education, because it was more self-taught through tutorials, a big problem I ran into was I would have problems and I wouldn't know how to solve them because I didn't know what to search for. Uh -huh. Like I remember I was like, I have all these if statements. Is there an easier way to do this instead of having like 10 if statements? What I was looking for is a switch statement. And but since I was never taught like the type of things that go into it, that was never something I would like search for. Like, what is a switch statement? How do I use one? Instead, it's like just a bunch of generic Google searches trying to figure out what I'm trying to do and simplifying it. Yeah, you it's the whole it's the whole you don't know what you don't know yet. Right. And so and so that's why I think doing tutorial videos and stuff can be helpful because it can give you, it can show you some of the stuff that you don't know. Like, oh, look, he's using that. I didn't even know about that. And then it can help you, you know, along the way to get some context. But when you go back to work on your own project, it's good to start, start with something small. And then reading the documentation can help with that too, because then even if you don't understand how something works, you've at least heard of it before and, you know. Um, but I ran into that same thing that you did because, you know, I went to school for computer science, but it wasn't until I'd, I'd done quite a bit of Game Maker and made a lot of my own games and stuff. So when I was first learning, I had the same problem, uh, you know, not knowing what to search. You're like, I know the problem and I know there's probably a solution somewhere, but I don't even know what words to use when I'm searching for it. Mm hmm. Yeah, I they there there's the whole uh, googling to know what to google. I do that. I mean, you know, like I, as a software developer, sometimes I'll I'll just start googling stuff, and then eventually I'll find like that key word that I like. Oh, that's what I should be searching for, and then I'll go back and I'll search for that, and then like I'll find it, like, and it'll just be like the exact results that I was looking for. So mm -hmm. like a lot of that's just you don't like you said you don't know what you're actually looking for and th until you like it takes a while to find that that knowledge base and then like you kind of get used to knowing how to find those resources the more you do it. Um I, I had a a question that Mashif um put in the Discord. He said what was the first game you made 
And w- so it's a two-parter. First, what was the first game you made? And then what is your favorite game that you've ever played? And what would your dream project be to work on? So it's kind of like three questions. Yeah. <laughs> so the so first one was the first game you made. The first game I made was a box that moved around on the screen when I moved the arrow keys. If that counts as a game, <laughs> if you count like a f- released game that I put out somewhere online, it was kind of like a space shooting game, similar to like Centipede or something where the enemies would come down from the top of the screen and you would move from side to side at the bottom and shoot lasers at them. Uh, that was a really good first game. Game Maker's really good at those kinds of games because mm-hmm. it doesn't have complex collisions. It's just like, oh, if the laser hits you, then it explodes. You know, like it's a lot easier instance than trying destroy. to destroy. Yeah, instance destroy. That's it. You don't have to worry <laughs> about like, you know, if your character's partway inside of the wall, then you have to move them out or move them towards it. It's It's a lot easier. So that was the first game I made. I don't even remember what it's called. Uh, the first game that I made that I'm kind of known for uh, was called Deep Magic and is this little wizard game. And you can still find it on Game Jolt. Ooh, uh, Game Jolt. So everyone go to Game Jolt and look up Deep Magic. <laughs> yeah. And I made that one when I was 16, I think. And it did fairly well. Like it got, um, for the old Game Maker users out there, when Yo-Yo Games had their sandbox website that you could upload games to. I remember that. It ended up getting like a staff pick and like 26,000 plays and stuff on the website. So nice. that's kind of the first game. And I ended up putting the source code out for free too. So that's part of the other reason why I was known for it uh, because people could just look at the code and that was appealing to a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. my dream project, that's hard to say. Uh, Huh? End hall. <laughs> end hall. End hall is was intended to be a prototype. Um, my dream project, you oh, know, wait, that kind no. of. Cha- I was thinking grain war. That's it. Oh, grain war. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is my dream project? It kind of changes. Mm. Um, so I have kind of a secret project that I'm scoping out right now. I haven't Ooh. actually technically started working on it yet. You heard it here first. It's it's my current dream project. Uh, oh, d- he also asked what my favorite game was, right? Uh, he said, what is your favorite game that you've ever played? My favorite game that I've ever played, Super Smash Brothers. Wow. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Any, any of them. Yeah. They're, they're all my favorite. I like them all. Uh, Super Smash Brothers is what got me interested in games. Um, the same cousin, uh, I think we were talking about that before the podcast, but but yeah, uh, one of my friends growing up, he was the one that introduced me to Super Smash Brothers, and I still play it all the time. Mm-hmm. You seem to make your own better version of it. Yeah, I don't know. See, there's a thing out there which is uh, sometimes your favorite games to play aren't the ones that you actually want to make. And I oh. think that's the case with Super Smash Brothers. I'll leave that one to the you know team of huge amounts of uh, programmers and 3D modelers mm-hmm. and game designers. They can they can make that one for me and all. But I do have I do have types of games. Like Pokemon, for example, I loved Pokemon growing up, and I'd love to make a game that is influenced by it. It'd be 
significantly different from what Pokemon actually is, but something that kind of, you know, turn-based with creatures and uh, something like that I'd really like to make. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, James, you have any other questions or can we, can we, yeah, throw- uh, someone in chat actually posed a, a very, what I think is a, a good question because you, Ben, you do a lot of this stuff solo. And, and I think you said your brother does a lot of the music. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of at what level of like projects do you think are too large for one person to do alone? Cause there's stuff like Stardew Valley, which took him what, like, how long, like three years just by himself working away at it. And it's a great thing. But then at what level do you think you should really like have a team of people that know what they're doing compared to just like doing it all yourself? Right. Uh, that's a hard, that's definitely a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically it sounds like they want to know, I don't know if maybe do they have a project that they're working on? I wonder I think I think it's different to each project and uh, your goals with the project. Um, the creator of Stardew Valley, he clearly had the time to just work on it for four years and the so, passion. Yeah, to be that consistent for that many years by yourself, like that takes a certain level of, like you said, if it if if you're passionate about it, then it doesn't feel like work, right? Mm-hmm. But even then, I think he ran into times where he didn't want to work on it. And and for people that want to do something like that, I'd recommend just doing a little bit every single day. You know, don't mm-hmm. miss a day. Do a little bit every single day. So even if you don't get a ton done that day, you still made progress and that will help keep you motivated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I think it was uh, I think it was Sean, you know, Spalding that said, like, you can't you don't have an hour to yourself to do something. So just five minutes, if that's all you have, at least it's something. So mm-hmm. just work at it every day. Yeah, do a little bit every day and you'll eventually finish. That's that's the thing. The only way you can not finish is if you don't work on it. And so if you work on it every single, well, unless you start over all the time, it <laughs> happens too. Mm-hmm. But but the creator of Stardew Valley, he was in some sort of a, in a situation where he could work on it for that long. And so some people that might be okay, but maybe you're in a financial situation where you have to get something done quickly. You know, you've got a launch date that you have to hit and you're on a time schedule. Then you might have to bring on, you know, some more people for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When when you were talking about restarting over and over, Fez came to mind. I don't know (laughs) if you've seen that documentary where, uh, you know, the, the developer that made Fez, he kept like starting over because he kept finding better ways to do things. And it just like became this downward spiral (laughs) where he just like took years and years and years to make the game because he, he fell into that. You know, I, it's, I, I, I always refer to it as analysis paralysis where like you just find yourself constantly analyzing and I could make this better. I need to go back and fix that rather than just like, you know, like you said, making incremental progress and, and moving forward, you keep, you keep overanalyzing and over, uh, overemphasizing things that you could probably come back and do later, but you just can't get past them in your brain. You know, that, that's, that's a hard challenge for some people. Or mm-hmm. even they're already working fine. Uh, but you just, you know, nobody's 
probably people aren't ever going to see your code. Uh, and mm-hmm. so sometimes there's stuff that's just working fine, even if it's not the best way to do it, you just leave it in. For me, I think personally, I've been able to divide my projects into kind of like an engine phase where I kind of make the engine for the game and then kind of like the content creation phase where I make the content for the game. And in the engine phase, um, I think you can kind of restart and experiment a little bit more there. But once you start making the content, if you see something in the code that's not the best way to do it, it's unless it's like a five-minute task, it's probably best to just leave it the way it is and continue making the content for the game in order to finish it. Like with End Hall right now, um, yeah, I was just going to ask with Enhall, are you in the content phase? Yeah, I'm in the content phase. And so I've already learned a whole bunch of ways that I could do it better, especially since I'm fairly new to Godot as an engine because I'm making Enhall in Godot. Sure. So, so I've already figured out all these different ways that I could have done it better. Um, but I'm in the content phase. So unless I run into a bug that I have to fix in the engine, I just continue to make the content instead of trying to make the engine better it'll be fine so mm-hmm. it's like you're gonna leave that for end hall too <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then it, it's funny too because something i i did well at least other people probably do this as well but it's a little bit like feature creep but in the small project i was working on i was going off of one of sean's tutorials where he was using uh an array to store like weapon values and stuff to swap between them in a very easy way and something I realized, I was like, oh, so you can assign a knockback value. So every time you shoot the weapon, like it pushes you back. And then as I was doing that, I was like, oh, but if I do this, now with this gun, you can actually propel yourself into the air. And now all of a sudden, it's like the original <laughs> idea I had. I was like, well, instead of making that game, I can make a platformer where you just propel yourself with a gun over like chasms and stuff and incorporate that. So it's like you don't necessarily need like an end goal. You could just see where it takes you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've experienced that with End Hall. Like the original game that I was trying to make, it's changed and uh, over the process of making it. And I think that's a good thing. You start off with you start off with an idea and as you continue to work on it and develop it out, you start to um because in your head it's always perfect because because you haven't run into any of the problems yet with the design. And so when you start to get it down in tangible form, that's when you start to see the problems. And that's, I think, where a real part of the creative process is. People think that being creative is coming up with an initial idea. But I think that's only part of it. I think as you're working on the project and you run into problems, you have to make new creative decisions along the way. And that's the real creative process is the entire process. Well, yeah, and then there's that joke, you know, just in development in general of like, it's not a bug, it's a feature, you know, like, it's (laughs) like you come across a problem and you're like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. How can I like utilize this? Like you said, it it spawns new ideas sometimes. You're like, oh, that wasn't my intention, but it's kind of cool. I'm going to use that Mm -hmm. like in creative new ways. You never know. Like you find, you find those fun little like something you would have never discovered unless it was that specific problem and that specific game and that specific instance. And then you discover a whole new like mechanic or whatever. And just like, Oh, this is cool. Let's see where we can take it. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, so, and this doesn't have to be related to game dev. We're going to get into some of these kind of quick fire questions. Uh, this can be from your personal life. It can be from anything you want. What sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do I love? And it can be, well, actually let's go both ways. What sound or noise (laughs) triggers you? Like that takes you to like, it triggers a memory or is there like a game from a, like a sound from a game or a sound from your life or a song or a chord or something that like, as soon as you hear it, it just like takes you back to that moment in time. That announcer guy from the start of Super Smash Brothers for 64, the Nintendo 64. Yeah. When he yells Super Smash Brothers, that. <laughs> and paint a picture for us. Where does it take you? Takes me to my friend's house and we're up in his loft and playing. We played Super Smash Brothers like all morning. It was like six hours or something and just played <laughs> it and played it and played it. And I was terrible at it and he was good at it, but we, I just kept playing it. And that was, that was a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So um, we are going to mention this. It's, this is not a major part of the podcast. Okay. But uh, Ben, you are Mormon and you served a mission in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I also served a mission in Brazil, as many of my uh, regular viewers and fans know. Uh, so we both speak Portuguese, and uh, you are still currently Mormon. Uh, but that being said, I'm still going to ask you this question, and you're allowed to give a Mormon answer because I know that Mormons have their preferred words. Uh, what's your favorite curse word? It can it can be frick or fetch or whatever you guys. <laughs> so, as in, which one do I like the most? It's up to you. Whatever the most. Whatever you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably hell. Hell. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny when people you know are like, oh, I'm ju- I'm thinking specifically of. Uh, um. Have you ever seen Leverage, the TV show Leverage? I don't think so. It's like a it's like a modern Robin Hood. Oh, okay. Uh, like a group of thieves get together and they steal from the rich to give to the poor, you know. Um, but there's a character in it who's like the computer, the computer genius in it, and oh, uh, he's just always like, "Hell no!" <laughs> and it's just so, he's just hilarious. He's probably. He's my second favorite character in the series, and it's just funny to hear him say it. And what's it called? Uh, Leverage? Leverage, yeah. Uh, That Bishop Girl in chat said every episode is an awesome, fun heist. Yep, yep. That's that's what it is. And it's not even like, it's not like the greatest show, but it's like a really good show, and they do it, I think it's like four seasons maybe, and then it has a decent ending, which is rare on television shows, you know. So it's Mm. it's just a good show, just... You know, there's always this, there's always some story of somebody who's been screwed over by a giant corporation or, you know, just a total jerk and, uh, and they kind of do this big heist and con the guy to get the person their money back. And it's, it's always fun. It's good yeah. fun. By the way, that Bishop girl is really big into like narrative stuff and like, uh that so like you can tell she's geeking out right now she's talking about strong archetypes and characters and stuff oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's it's her good. jam. So uh, next on the list. So let's say you woke up tomorrow and you had whatever skill set was perfect for whatever job. Was is there any profession other than your current one that like boom tomorrow you wake up and you're just like a pro at it? Is there something that you would? That's an interesting question. I've never thought about that before. Like, like skydiver. It doesn't matter. Like any, like if there's just like, boom, you're like, you woke up and you're good at it. And that's what you do for a living. I don't think there's one. So does it have to be outside of my current profession? (laughs) Well, that's kind of the idea, but no, I mean, maybe you do what you love, but if there was something like maybe what's in close second, is there something else that you're a second professional Author. author. Ooh, there you go. Author. That would be cool. I'd love to write like novels, science fiction, fantasy. I'm a big reader and uh, I'd, I'd love to be like, and maybe one day I have a bucket list item on my bucket list. I want to write a book and get it published. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've written a book before and self-published it, but it was Mm -hmm. my game maker book and stuff. I mean, a novel, I want to write a novel and get it published through a publisher. I think that's, I think that's my close second. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. That you just like, once again, you triggered that Bishop girl. She's like, do it. (laughs) (laughs) I will one day, I will write a novel and I'll try my best to get it published. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, uh, Lady Navio is also a big uh, fiction reader. I read a lot too, but it's mostly nonfiction. But she's a huge fan of fiction. I feel bad sometimes because she reads all these books and she like wants to talk about it. (laughs) She just got a new job and she's got a book club. So now like she has a place to go and talk about her her fiction books. I feel bad. I, I should probably get into more fiction. Mm-hmm. I I switch off between the two. My wife reads a lot more than me though. She's she's a very she's a very big reader. I'm like, "Oh, that sounds like a really good book." She'll like recommend books to me, and if it sounds like it's interesting to me, then I'll read it. And I tend to read books fast. I just don't read them co- consistently. So I'll go for a long time without reading anything um fic- fiction-wise, uh cuz I generally read fiction or non-fiction stuff all the time. Um for my business and stuff, but I'll go a long time without reading fiction and then she'll recommend something to me and I'll read it in a week or something. Nice. She reads a lot. All right. So, uh, you heart beast. I have a couple more questions and then we will, uh, we have a little segment called jumbotron James after that, and then we'll take a short break. But this one, uh, I'm always really interested to see what people have to say about it. So what are you not very good at? Uh, let's see. You don't got to list them all. Just like what, like the first thing that pops into your mind, like I'm not good at blit. Not, not very good at. I, like I, like I was saying earlier, I kind of do the whole tw- 80 20 thing with everything so there's a lot of stuff that i'm actually decent at like not amazing at but i'm decent at a lot of stuff i there's stuff that i don't like to do so maybe that's stuff that i'm not very good at because i just don't realize that i'm not good at it because i don't do it um hunting yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a hunter myself (laughs) yeah my 
I, you know, I'm from Vernal, Utah. It's like rural Utah. And so my dad loves to hunt all of like a lot of my family loves to hunt and I went hunting once and I was like, this is not really my thing. <laughs> so like, I'm, where's I'm the death? probably, I feel like I could get good at it though. If I enjoyed it, I just, I'm, I know that I'm not good at it right now because I don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, I'm the same way. I was born in Pocatello, Idaho, and I have five uncles who are avid hunters and I have zero desire. I'm a California boy. So <laughs> I am like, no, I like bunnies and deers and stuff. I don't want to shoot them. That's not, why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it also sounds like you're good at starting things, but maybe not perfecting them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could say that because I've started a lot of stuff. But then I tend to find something else that I'm interested in. But it's the one thing that's broken the mold has been kind of like game development because I've been doing it for almost, no, I think probably about 15 years now. And I've never stopped doing it. But it's kind of an exception because I can still kind of jump around. I can, oh, like get a little bit better at programming. And oh, I'm starting to get bored of that. So let's get a little bit better at pixel art. And so I don't know, maybe it's, but that I think that also goes back mm-hmm. to what you were saying about burnout though. Like that like being a like within game development you can jump between code and then designing some pixel art and then like like there's there's all those different things like when you get tired of one you can just do the other and kind of bounce between the three or four different aspects of game development. That mm-hmm. I, I that's that makes sense. Yeah, but I'd say with other things too I have run into that with like you know, just getting, I get bored of stuff. And then I'm like, well, I've learned as much as I want to. I'm as good as I want to be. I don't want to be better now. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. do something different. Yeah. I run into that same problem because I play a lot of games and then it's like, oh, well, I hit, you know, like this tier and ranked. And then I see that in order to like really get better and start climbing again, it's like, I'm going to have to commit a lot of time to this. Uh huh. Yeah. It's ex- It's exponential. Come. It is. It's the 80-20 rule. You get get past that first 20% and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do 80% of the work to get that last 20% of the payoff. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Back when when I really used to play League of Legends a lot, I was actually doing really well. Like I hit plat one and then I realized, oh, if I want to climb any higher, I'm going to have to start playing a lot more because the, the season I hit that rank, was the season I had played the most games like ever. So I was like, so if I want to get any higher, I'm going to have to at least like quadruple how much time I spend on this game. That's not something I want to do. Yeah. yeah, no, I I get that for sure. I'm the, I'm the exact same way. I love figuring stuff out and then I'm just like bored and I want to move on to something else and figure something else out. I love that initial like problem solving phase and then I'm like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. It's boring now. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's a problem sometimes, especially in my workplace, because I'm like, <laughs> I have like day to day work to get done, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. I want to do something <laughs> new and exciting. It's, yeah. it's a challenge for sure. All right, last question, and then we got a jumbotron, James, for you guys, and then we're gonna take a short break. Uh, room, desk, and car. Which one do you clean first? Room, desk, and car. Uh, desk. <laughs> I I feel like everyone that seems we seems to be a recurring theme. 
for our guests on the show. I, I feel like a lot of the people we have as guests spend like 90% of their time at their desk. Room would be second. I don't yeah. care about, I'm not even, I'm not a car person. Yeah, like, me neither. I had a 1996 Honda Civic until we had three kids and that wouldn't fit in that anymore. So then we got like a, it's like this used, it's so trashed up this, this Toyota, Toyota minivan. And it's like, oh man, we took it. It's used. So we took it to like, is it uh, a Windstar? Oh, I don't know what that is, but (laughs) it's like the most stereotypical minivan. I was just kidding. Oh, we, we took it to, uh, we took it to a, it was used. So we took it to a mechanic to make sure that it was all working, you know? And he's like, have you guys looked at it? (laughs) (laughs) Just like scratched up and stuff, but I don't care. We don't care. We're not car people. Yeah. I'd rather, but guess what? We, we didn't have to get a pay. We don't have a car payment. So that's, that's what I care about right there. There you go. It's like, a, does it move? That's all I care. Uh, and I, I run my own business, so I don't want a car payment. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. It's got four wheels and it gets me to the store. Nice. All right, uh, James, it is it is your time. We have one, I think, from Crab Control. Unless one came in after so. the fact. And I don't even re- I don't even think he realized what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but now you got to read it. For those who don't know, we have a segment called Jumbotron James where people can submit messages for James to read during the podcast. Oh, so, no. So we had a submission from Crab Control. Uh, and by the way, if anyone else wants to submit a Jumbotron James for future podcasts, uh, you can do so. It can be an advertisement, a simple message, a uh, proposal to your significant other, whatever you want to do. You know, just throw it out there. So, uh, Could be anything. yeah, exactly. So, J- I wouldn't want to say, but I'd have to say it. So, James is going to pull his mic all nice up and close to his face parts, and he's going to read this little message, <laughs> and then we're going to take a short break after that. All right. This one's from Crab Control. Can I get a proper cup of coffee cooked in a copper coffee pot for once? <laughs> I feel like that's a tongue twister. It was a bit of a, you did really well. Good. Yeah. yeah. As I was saying it, I was like, the, like I, I could feel my tongue like not cooperating. You nailed it. I think it's designed to make you uh, swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what it sounds like to me. It, that was that was tricky, but you did well. All right, guys, we're gonna take a short uh, three to five minute break, and then when we come back, right when we come back, we're gonna dive straight into some sheep's beef. I know it's what you guys all wait for every week. So we got some hot, fresh, steamy beef for you guys. Uh, If you guys just want to mute yourselves, we'll be back in a few minutes. All right. We are back. Uh, We got some beef for you guys. We got some hot, fresh sheaf's beef. We're going to serve it up right now. I'm going to bring them back on. If you guys want to unmute yourselves, I'm going to jump into my media view here so that we can all watch it together. Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. Let me turn that off. Uh-oh. Oh, wrong one. There we go. I got a... Oh, VLC was still on. Now we're doing it in the browser this time. Hopefully the levels are better now. Last week we had some audio issues, but I think it's all resolved. So if you guys are ready, usually we, we all, we're all going to hit play on... We're going to do one, two, three, go. So you'll hit play on go. Okay. You mm-hmm. ready? Yep. <laughs> All right, let me turn off the music here, and 
We're going to go one, two, three, go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Chiefs Beef. <laughs> Here we barbecue the beefiest of beefs to see which beef is Chiefs Beef. We're down here, JTRHNB, our studio network complex headquarters, bringing you today's hot, spicy beef. Here's your man with the beef, Meshif. Welcome to the ring. I'm your host, Meshif, bringing you this week's hot and spicy beefs. We got two contenders going head to head today, and stick around to the end because we're going to find out which of the two is the beefiest. First beef is office birthday parties. You want to get an a group of people together that couldn't give less of a fuck about something, gather everyone in your office to go celebrate Steve and accounting's birthday. That is a group of people that does not give a fuck. Now, we're going to sit here and pretend like going down to Vaughn's and grabbing the cheapest sheet cake you could find and bringing it back to the office and serving it in the break room is some sort of celebration. We'll go ahead and pretend that. It's not. A real party is getting some booze together, getting my friends together, getting some music. Let's hang out and have a good time. But can you do that at work? <laughs> Fuck no. You can't do that shit at work. <laughs> so at best, you got some shitty sheet cake, five minutes of reprieve from your actual job, and then you have the dreaded birthday song. Now let's assume you get to sing the actual birthday song. Don't get me started on the replacement songs because that's even worse. But let's happy, say happy birthday. you're all sitting around, you're singing the birthday song. <laughs> it's awkward for everyone. A group, a room, a whole office of grown people singing happy birthday to another grown person is fucking mind-blowing to me. You're going to get all these people together, and they awkwardly have to stand there and, happy birthday to you. And then you might even be the poor, unlucky bastard that's stuck being sung happy birthday to. Okay? <laughs> it's awkward being the center of attention when you know everyone around you just wants to eat the cake and go back to work. So everyone's there just for the cake. No one really cares. And it's all low tier and low budget. The other thing is that some of the office managers have kind of gotten a little savvy on, hey, having a birthday for him, her, him, 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 and her in this month is going to really take up a lot of time. So that five minutes that it would have spent on each one of those days where people are just going to go and sing happy birthday awkwardly, and not do their job for a couple minutes, let's go ahead and push all that into one day so we can really tell people that we really don't give a fuck, but here's some cake. So what they do is they say, all the October babies, go ahead and gather around. We're going to sing you happy birthday, and then we're going to eat some cake, and then you're going to get the fuck back to work. So that's why the first beef of the week is office birthday party. Second beef is cake. What? <laughs> fuck cake. Cake is the lowest tier dessert. Cake is served three times in the year and only three times nobody goes out of their way to eat fucking cake you're gonna eat it for a birthday like we said a second ago (laughs) for a wedding or for a funeral now at a birthday you're probably stuck with some low tier office shitty sheet cake like this (laughs) at a wedding you probably got some pretty decent cake but it's super expensive and they charge to serve it by the slice and at a funeral you're just so fucking sad the last thing you want is cake you just need a little sugar to pick you up at best, what is that cake? cake? <laughs> only good because of the frosting. And at worst, it's some dry, unimaginative heck? piece of shit out of a up. box that you picked up full of funfetti. Cake is awful. What you should be eating, what you should be buying, what no one would be upset with is pie. No one goes out of their way to go and buy a cake. But you're going to offer me a piece of apple pie, cherry pie, blueberry pie, fucking cherry cheesecake. 
Pie? Well, I'll, I'll surmise this. Eat not pant. really a pie, but it's fucking good, and it's way better than actual cake. So, cake, you're the second beef of the week because you are the worst dessert. Now, Jimmy, James, chat, you the beast. I want to know, which of these two beefs do you think is the beefiest? All right, I got it paused at 418. Did he refer to you, Ben, as you the beast? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, who, who, I, I want to. I actually kind of want to hear you, heart beast, opinion first. So we got we got office birthdays versus birthday cake or cake in general. Well, I haven't been to very many office birthdays, to be honest. Oh, true. So why is that? I don't know. I don't know, actually. I just can't think of any. So maybe they just weren't memorable. (laughs) Maybe I have been to some, but I do think cake is definitely low tier in desserts. I agree with that, with the exception of angel food cake. I I really like angel food cake. I had some today, actually, uh, before coming over because it's like National Angel Food Cake Day or something. What? Yeah, I have to go to the store after this podcast. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that. Wait, so is it National Taco Bell Day too? <laughs> I don't know. Not that I know. <laughs> Taco Day was like two weeks ago, though. I had tacos. Maybe it was one week ago. But anyways, yeah. So that's the exception. But I think, I think I'm probably going to go with cake because just in general, I don't really like cake. Fair mm-hmm. enough. What about you, James? I actually have a pretty good story about cake. You see, ever since I had the ability to talk, you know, the legend said that my first words were, let's not eat cake for my birthday. Because for as long as I can remember, I've never had a birthday cake because I'm a November child. I always said, just get pumpkin pie Mm. because that's preferable to any cake you're going to get me. Because out of all cakes, generally, like you said, they're, just drowned in the frosting and sometimes the frosting's good sometimes it's really not it's like what is this (laughs) like it's supposed to taste like sugar but it doesn't the only cake i really enjoy is was it tres leches which is Hmm. it's a very moist cake you know the three different milks now that's a good cake i love how your accent completely changed when you said that word (laughs) What? If I got, if I'm gonna, it's not tres leches, it's tres leches. <laughs> That's the only time you hear my Mexican accent. <laughs> it's like I'm from Guatemala. <laughs> Gotta give you yeah, shit. Let's see, birthday parties in the office. Ooh, when I work down in the dish room, I try to keep it on the down low because I had, I saw that when someone else had the birthday, they all the work, other workers came into the dish room. It's already ninety degrees in there. We don't need more bodies. <laughs> But just, yeah, that's not a good time. And if it's low-tier cake, I don't want it. But just since the cake has been there longer than the office birthday parties, I'm going to have to go with cake here. It's the bigger beef. Yeah, I think we might be in uh, agreement on this one. However, I did work at an insurance company for like five years, and office birthdays are pretty lame. So I'm torn. Cause uh yeah. 
I guess there's the argument that office birthdays have cake at them, so you get both it's double them. bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, they always buy the cheap shit. When like when you when it's an office birthday party, they're not they're not going out of their way to buy the good stuff. Now, here's the thing with cake, though. There is good cake if you make good life choices. For example, the with the issue of frosting always comes up. Lady Navio and I have universally agreed from day one of our relationship. I don't know if I'd be with her unless we agreed on this. <laughs> There's no other frosting worth eating besides cream cheese frosting. If mm. it doesn't have cream cheese frosting in it, I'm not eating that cake, period. Cream cheese frosting is the best. It, it's, it makes all the difference. Like cream cheese frosting can make a decent cake, a good cake, and a shitty cake, an okay cake. Like the frosting, like that's a huge factor right there. Like you got the right frosting on there. It's going to make a difference. Also, uh, I like cupcakes. It's like mm. my my problem with cake is it's so dense and in large quantities that it's like unless you got a tall glass of milk, there's no reason to be eating a big ass slice of cake. Like it's just it's too much. It's too rich. It, it leaves your mouth dry, especially if it's got bad frosting on it. So like for me, I like a medium sized cupcake just with a tower of cream cheese frosting. Now we're talking about good cake. In fact, we've talked about for our wedding coming up maybe next year sometime uh doing the whole like instead of doing a sheet of cake doing like the cupcake type thing where it's like a like a tower of cupcakes with cream cheese frosting on them or like there that's the thing is there is good cake but you have to make good choices so you just reminded me of something so my wife loves brownies so at our wedding we did brownies. Ooh, now you're talking. But we were married on April 20th. <laughs> 420? You had brownies so on we 420? On yes. Everyone brownies. Best Mormon wedding ever. <laughs> she didn't have a clue. She's <laughs> like, why are you laughing? Like, they're just... just... My brother, though, thought it was hilarious. (laughs) 420, bro. (laughs) Did anyone question the brownies? Not that I saw. (laughs) Oh, man, that's that's amazing. I thought you might appreciate that one. (laughs) That's great. That's fantastic. You tell that story to your kids someday. (laughs) But, yeah, so I don't know. I might actually lean towards office birthdays. Apparently, Lady Navio loves office birthdays, but she's an HR. HR does everything over the top. <laughs> like every time she has an office birthday, she sends me pictures. She like like her entire desk is like decadently decorated with like streamers and glitter and like themed like decorations and all this stuff because HR like you know like. They they don't they spare no expense and they take good care of each other. So she has great experiences with office birthdays. If I were to say which one affects me more personally, it's probably bad cake. Cause you know, it uh nobody likes bad cake. Stop mm-hmm. stop feeding people bad cake. Somebody when ch- in chat was saying cheesecake counts as cake. I don't know about that. It's an entirely separate method. Like if you're gonna if you make the baked cheesecake, get that out of here. That's not real cheesecake. 
but it's like they're entirely different things. Yeah, I think cheesecake's closer to pie. But if you include True. cheesecake as cake, then I love cheesecake too. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just so bad for you. So I might go with cake on this one, uh, only because <laughs> when I was in a call center for the insurance company, like office birthdays was an excuse not to take another phone call after a hundred <laughs> phone calls of some asshole who ran into the rear end of grandma. Mm-hmm. Like, don't ever work in auto claims. Anyone out there, I'm telling you right now, if you have the opportunity to work in a call center for auto claims, don't do it. (laughs) Those office birthdays were like my breath of fresh air once in a blue moon. So I I think I'm going to have to go with cake on this one. I think we're all in accord. However, if I were to predict which one is the bigger beef from a sheaf, I might... He 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 spoke with a lot of disdain about office birthdays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had a photo in there that looked very much like it was a photo he took at his <laughs> place of work, which I think is very telling. <laughs> so we all agree cake is the bigger beef, but I am predicting that Mashif may go with office birthdays as the bigger beef. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. I all think right. cake was an afterthought. <laughs> <laughs> By the way... Uh, I do have to give a shout out to Mashif, though. I don't know if you guys noticed in the middle of the screen there. It says, happy birthday, Jimmy. My birthday is in two days. <laughs> I'm turning 35. He even used the, he even used the image that I made for my, uh, for my stream coming up. We're doing a marathon stream. We're going to start tomorrow night and we're going to do, uh, like a 20 hour marathon stream. So thank you for recognizing that. That's probably why I picked these topics, actually. I just realized that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so here we go. I'm at 418. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll do one, two, three, go again, and then we'll hit play. So we all agree cake is a bigger beef, but I have a feeling Mashif may go with the other one. So we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Ready? One, Mm -hmm. two, three, go. Welcome back. Let's figure out which is the biggest beef of the week, and it is cake. The biggest beef of the week because on the high end, you're way too expensive for what you are, and on the low end, you are absolute horseshit. (laughs) A good steady pie is better than a cake any day, and that's why, cake, you're the biggest beef of the week. All right. There it is. wrong. No. Well, I mean, we were right. Welcome, everybody. Our prediction was wrong. Yeah, the prediction was wrong. (laughs) So while we're here, I'm just going to keep this up right here. Um, Oh, look at that nice website. Yeah, (laughs) it's amazing. Heartgamedev.com. This is is the man right here. You Heart Beast, this is his website. If you have any interest whatsoever in getting into, you know, Game Maker Studio, uh, Pixel Art, any of that type of stuff, go check out his website. He also has courses on Udemy. Uh, he also has a YouTube channel with tons of free content, and re- he also recently started streaming on Twitch. So go follow him, go subscribe to him, go buy his courses. By the way, buy his courses now because if I have anything to do, if I have anything to say about it, uh, his prices are going up. He's not charging <laughs> nearly enough money. I looked. I went to his Udemy page, and I was like, "You're charging eleven dollars for this course, dude. You should be charging five times as much as this." 
the value that he's offering is ridiculous. So like everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this stream right now, you need to go buy his courses because they're, they're not going to be $11 for long. The, he is way too good at what he does to be charging $11 per course. Yeah. And like that, I think you uh, retweeted early, uh, like earlier in the week, I think where someone actually used one of your courses and then took it further and actually published a full game. Yeah, they were publishing on iOS and they're working on getting it to Android and it looked it looked really good. I was like, wow, they put in a lot of work. They did a good job. And they spent $11 for your course, dude. That was actually a free course. Oh, <laughs> see, man. There's some, this, this guy knows what he's doing. The and courses are so high quality. They're one step towards publishing your, a full game. Don't I'm I'm serious, man. You guys need to go check him out. That's why we invited him because he's a talented dude and uh, he knows his stuff. So go check him out, please, all of you guys. Uh, before we get into some of our other topics, James, I did want to ask you about uh, some of your endeavors this week. Uh, you have been uh, you've been checking out some games. Oh, like always. So <laughs> I, 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 do instead of homework. I was snooping on you in uh, Discord and you were playing some Maple Story 2. I was. Yes. What do you think so far? Have you played, and either of you, have you played the original Maple Story? A little bit. I played the original, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was 2D and like kind of an MMO kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's Maple Story 2. Is Maple Story, but in 3D. So if you really enjoyed Maple Story, you're probably gonna enjoy Maple Story too. So the transition to 3D though, does it still feel like Maple Story? Because a lot of the charm of Maple Story was the 2D kind of, you know, we talked about pixel design and graphics and stuff. Like a big a part of the charm of Maple Story was that whole 2D feel. Mm-hmm. Did, were they able to capture that same feel when they made the transition to 3D? I don't think they captured the same feel, but there's something about it that is still enjoyable because it is still the very like cartoony, like art style. That's it's really cute, like it's adorable. Yeah, it, it looked like they were kind of like, using low poly kind of mm-hmm. artwork, like not high end polygons. Really, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very low poly. So, but I mean. I like it a lot because it's very simple because I also play WoW, but it was free. So I was like, I'll, I'll take a look at MapleStory. And what I like about MapleStory is that it's very simple. It's like, like I'm, I'm, I'm playing a healer because I like playing supports. So basically all I have to do is walk around, don't get hit by AoE and hold down the healing button and then it just heals people around me. And then if I want to do damage, I just hold down the other button and it just does damage. Right. So it's like, it's very, it's very casual. Like I, it's not, it's not hard to get into. It's yeah. very simple, and it's, I think it's very welcoming to new people compared to like all these other MMOs. Because I've played a lot, and the reason I usually quit is because it's like too much information. Sure, like it feels very complicated. But Maple Story Two is very simple. Okay. I need to yeah, that. that would appeal to me, I think, because I I don't have enough time to learn complicated games anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they have all the mechanics you'd expect from an MMO, but then when you just play it, it's just like, okay, so walk this way. 
oh, my ally is kind of damaged. I'm going to hit F to heal him and hold F for like five seconds. Oh, I took some damage. Better keep holding F. It's it's very easy. Okay. Like very strong rolls and clear, defined, like, actions. Mm-hmm. And the, the class variety is pretty large, too, and they're all very different. So, like, say you don't want to just hold down a button. Well, you're kind of going to hold down buttons in the other ones, but then it does different stuff. Like, they mm. all use different, like, resources and mechanics. Yeah. So, one more question for you, James, and then we'll mm-hmm. we'll kind of move on to some of this other stuff. Uh, what do you think about the... Uh, the 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 new minion master season and changes oh well for ben since you probably don't know what that is it's a game that i play very regularly like i'm he's a pro he's a grandmaster one of the best all right humble brag the last time i played earlier today i was top 20 so (laughs) just broke that i think i was 19 so anyway people want to know his opinion because he's a pro so the newest season, they introduce a bunch of new cards. They introduce a lot of mechanics that the team that develops it is very small, uh-huh. which is interesting because compared to larger games with like entire t- balanced teams to figure this out, they only have about three people, three to four people that decide all these changes. And I think they did a very good job on the theme of it, of these new cards and like what they do. But there's varied opinions on how broken they are. Like I spent 18 bucks and I got like most of the cards. I think I'm missing one legendary, which is kind of expected. And everyone is like, oh, these cards are very overpowered because the way they do it is there's two different ways to get the cards. All the other cards are just in a generic pool. And then Mm -hmm. the new season cards are in a separate pool that you can only earn through a different method. It's a different currency than the other pool. So people are like, oh, these cards are very pay-to-win, kind of unfair. But as someone that's been playing with them a lot, it's like they are very strong, but they serve as like a extreme to the generic ones. Like, oh, this one can do a ton of DPS as long as you can f- fulfill this condition. And if you don't, then the generic one is a lot better on average. Mm-hmm. But since I play at the higher level, people are really good at keeping that, what's it called? whatever is required to activate it up at all times. So it feels very strong, but since the player base is really small, I'm not quite sure if it's actually broken or people are just having a difficult time, like adapting to the new cards. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough, that's balancing is so hard. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the main thing they introduced was the main card people have a gripe with is they made a unit that it costs five mana and you can store up to 10 at any time. And its effect is when you play it, you get two back. So it's a three mana unit, but you cost five to play it. And the issue people have is that one of the characters you can play as has an ability, he can resurrect units that die. Oh. And the gripe they have is when that unit dies, since its play effect is gain two mana, when you res it, you gain two mana again. So people are really like, oh, this is going to break the game because now everyone's running this unit that only the people that have spent some money to like go faster in that progression have. And people are really like... Pay to win, baby! Yeah, really pay to win. <laughs> Especially with... I can tell people how to counter it. Like, oh, use these and these cards, but 
it seems pay to win when the answers I tell them are stuff that they probably don't have the newer player <laughs> right, for a while. Yeah, that's tricky, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I get that they, you know, it's eventually their goal is for it to be a free to play game, but then if people can pay money to get the cards before other people, then there's a window where they have more power or they can have more counters or more access to more stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I played duelists quite a long, uh, quite a bit for a while. I don't know if you've heard of duelist. Yes. I played quite a bit of it when <clears> it came out. Yeah. So I played it quite a bit yeah. when it first came out and, uh, it was a lot easier to, play for free when it first came out uh i felt like they they changed they changed it quite a bit over time to where it mm-hmm. got more and more difficult for people who weren't gonna put in money to the game to actually be able to compete uh and so i kind of i kind of quit playing it at that point i also had a bad experience with support but you know, it was just kind of mm-hmm. my own experience with the support team and stuff. But, you know, it's it's really balancing games are, are really difficult. And I think sometimes companies actually. I, I worry that sometimes and I'm not saying that, you know, the creators of Minion Masters are doing this, not mm-hmm. saying that because I don't know anything about the game. But I think there are big companies, especially that will introduce stuff that is broken at first just to make the game interesting again mm-hmm. and then patch it, you know, like it's like they know it's too good, but they don't actually care that much at first because it just it makes the game interesting again. People talk about it again. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, this is the third season where they have been doing this card release. They release eight cards of varying rarities. And people have said for since this third since this patch with the new cards that the past two season cards were very meh, like people weren't really using them. So I mm-hmm. feel some of that came into it because they they have this idea that they don't want to sell power. Some of the best cards are like the commons that you get, not uh-huh. the legendaries. So this is kind of the first season where it's like, oh, these cards are actually really good. So if you spend a bit of money like on the season start to get a boost. Now you have access to these really strong cards compared to everyone else. And the so issue I sense. find, yeah, the issue I find is like, who are they going to listen to? Because since I play as a high, at a higher level compared to everyone else, I understand like what might be broken, but what are possible counters like to that style of play. While newer players will see this and not have that knowledge or not have the card base to like actually fight against it. So it's like, who do we balance it towards? Like, do we balance it towards the top tier players or our new players? Yeah, and that's a really interesting question. I follow the Smash scene, you know, the Mm -hmm. competitive Smash scene. I'm not a competitive Smash player, but I follow it. And Mm -hmm. Bayonetta in the newest Smash, the not the one that's coming out in December, but the one for Wii U and stuff. The right newest one Mm -hmm. um, was is pretty much obviously the best character in the game most people agree that she's the best character in the game Mm -hmm. but uh she and she was paid dlc so then Mm -hmm. it sounds very pay to win 
you know? Yeah. Uh, but the top, like at top level play, a lot of the best players out there, they've figured out how to counter her as a character. But, you know, beginners, they they just, they can die at 0%. Bayonetta can just kill them right from the get-go and there's nothing they can do about it because, well, they just don't know how to deal with it is the best way to put it. And so that's a hard thing to balance. You know, how do the game developers balance that? She's broken against beginner players, but she's also technically it's possible to counter her if you're at the high level play. So they have to not only is balancing hard in general, but now they have to balance for two audiences. I mean, mm-hmm. little Mac uh, is not a good character in smash for um, the one for Wii U. Um, and he never was, but they nerfed him because he was actually pretty good for beginners. Like mm-hmm. a beginner could pick him up and kill another beginner. And he felt really good to beginners but like he wasn't that good in high level play. And so, but they still nerfed him anyways. So it's, yeah. it's really tricky to balance that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, that seems to be a common theme. Like two, two games that I think of that specifically, particularly have this problem uh, is uh, Starcraft two. This has always been an issue because there's like, you know, there's stuff that happens at high level play that they're like, Oh yeah, you can just counter that by doing this. But at low level play, it's like nobody has the knowledge to know how to defeat that. And so it's like you get cannon rush. There's all this stuff. There's so many things that at low level play you can completely exploit because people just aren't good enough. They don't know the timings. They don't know like there's so there's so much nuance that goes into that. That like at high level it it's actually like perfectly balanced but at low level everyone's complaining it's like oh i just keep getting my ass handed to me every game by people who are doing you know cannon rushes or uh um um uh, nexus uh what, what what's the one called I, anyway uh it's called like anyway i used to follow it but i don't follow it as much anymore but uh uh that's a huge issue. The other one is League of Legends. Going back to what you were talking about before, uh, six pool every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, the other the other thing you were talking about where they like introduce something OP just to make things interesting and then nerf it after the fact. League of Legends has been accused of that time and time again. Every time they come out with a new champ, they're just like. Ah, fuck it. And they just like, you know, like a new champ will come out and the new champ will have like a 70% win rate, right? Like they're just, they're obviously overpowered, but they're like, yeah, but you know, people paid good money for it, whatever. And then like after a couple patches, they'll finally balance them out. But initially when they're released, they always, they always kind of tend to feel like they're overpowered. So like Mm -hmm. it, it feels kind of intentional, but Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. May I mean the the I could see why they might do that though, because like could you imagine if you paid for a brand new champion and out of the gate they felt underpowered and useless? It would feel like a waste I of money. Right? So like I, I get why they tend to err on the side of making them slightly overpowered and then nerfing them rather than starting out with them being underpowered. Cause then it's like, well, I spent twenty dollars for this new champion. And I can't like the the I've I've lost four games in a row. No one wants to feel like they wasted their money. So mm-hmm. like I can see why they would tend to lean towards overpowered versus underpowered. I don't know. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. an interesting counter argument to it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's that idea that Mashif brought up too. Like when you get to that top level play, it doesn't matter how much variety there is. People are going to min-max because they want to know what is the strongest in every situation. They don't want like to be told, well, this is good in this spot. But then if they choose that, now this one's good. It's no, they want what is the most consistent at the top. Because I know I never really played a lot of StarCraft. But when I went free to play like last year, I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. I had followed a lot of it. I liked watching it a lot. So I jump in, I go into rank to see how it is. And I'm like, oh, I remember that if you do a three rack all in with a bunch of, you know, stimmed Marines, there's not a whole lot most people can do. And then it's like, now I have some medevacs on top of that. And I was like, all right, this is a strategy I've seen used. I go in, I do my placements. It's like, you're diamond. And I was like, what? I'm diamond? <laughs> what? I know I'm not that good. Just that strategy is just so easy for me to pull off. And if you don't know like how to counter that, it's just so effective. So how do you also balance like knowledge? Yeah. 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 yeah you can. I, that's the thing is you can't balance knowledge. Like either you've played the game enough to know it or you're not like, you're not going to balance Tetris just because someone knows about T spin and the other guy doesn't, <laughs> you know, like that. You know, just play the game more. Like, I, I don't know. Like there's, there's stuff like that, that like they, they, they would never remove some of the advanced, like anyone who's played Tetris long enough knows that like the Tetris move is not the strongest move in the game. There's like T-spins and there's all these crazy like like setups and techniques and stuff that you can use to win a game of Tetris. But unless you play at a high enough level, you wouldn't, you'd have no idea what those techniques were. But they're not going to nerf those techniques just because some noobs don't know how to do it. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting argument, and it's one of those. But like, they have to appeal to new players though, because new players are new money and they're new they're new statistics, right? Like, and pro players want new players too, because right. because you want the you want the you want the games pro scene to change and evolve you want to see new beginner players coming in and getting good at the game. You don't want the game to just die off as all the you know, people who started out playing the game die off, you mm-hmm. know, and stop playing it. Like, like in Smash, the melee community, ha- you know, has that where they really want new players to come in too, where it's not just the people who've been playing since 2000, you know, competitive. <laughs> There's a guy in my work who only plays melee. It's ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like exactly to your point, Ben, it's like, I, I know that exact idea too, because I play in the tournaments for minion masters and a lot of the con- opinion by a lot of the newer players coming into it that watch the tournaments are like, it's always the same 16 guys. And it's like, well, yeah, because no one else is like trying to break into it because it's such a small game. Like, is it worth it to try and get that good? Mm. And then it's like me as a, at this top level, I want more people to come in because I want to know, am I actually like at the top of this game or are people just not playing that can beat me? Yeah. Yeah, but you're never going to know if you don't get new players coming in, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I do know, though? What do you know, Jimmy? What I do know is the robots are going to kill us all. (laughs) I don't know if you guys watched that video that I posted today. It was kind of like a last-minute thing that I posted in the group chat we had. 
Did you guys watch this precision jumping robot? I did. Oh my gosh, I'm terrified, dude. <laughs> Skynet is real and it's going to destroy us all. This robot has one leg. I'm going to show this video. I don't I I I don't think it's Boston Dynamics. I don't know. I I I don't know who made this video. Maybe we can see whose channel this is. Let's find out. It's Biometric Millisis. This robot is terrifying. I'm telling you right now. Like someone so we're going to read the comments. One of the comments was imagine this thing with a grenade strapped to it. That was so <laughs> so watch this video and imagine this thing has like a little a little machine gun or grenades strapped to it. It's got one leg. Watch just watch this. This is not CGI. This is real. Are you ready? You haven't even you don't even understand. Mhm. Bounces like a pogo stick. It's got one leg. You literally can't knock it over. You can kick it you know, you, like there's, it's coming at you, <laughs> full speed, jumping with one leg. So it sets a goal on top of the table. Look at this. This is terrifying. <laughs> retargeting I love they they give you the details we also show the leg angle error is important for foot placement so he moves the what It 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 seriously looks like CGI. Like I can't. I, it's my brain has a hard time even like understanding that this is happening in real time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looks friendly. <laughs> it looks it friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the uh, the first comment I saw was it was uh finally they're gonna make the live action of what a. Uh, what animation studio is it that has the Pixar? Yeah, the Pixar. The lamp. A, they're like, they're going to have a live animal. action Pixar lamp. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But this comment right here, it says, you guys stop. You're going to get us all killed. All it takes is one military to weaponize any of these inventions. And we're all goners. I know governments already weaponize things like this. I'm just saying it won't end well. And then the comment right after this, this, this with a grenade attached stuff of nightmares. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and painted like a jack-in-the-box clown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, that is messed up. It laughs right before it blows up. <laughs> Just imagine a crazy laughing robot with a grenade strapped to it jumping towards you, and no obstacle can stop it. Like <laughs> A robot to bring your beer upstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's one of those <laughs> things where it's really interesting from a technological standpoint how, like, 20 years ago... We just didn't have the capability to design something that could actually like be that deck, like have that dexterity and movement. And then now, like we're getting closer to that realm of robots that are able to like do more things other than just like grab, hold, 
and then place it elsewhere like we're doing that but then it does go into that like realm of like sci-fi and like horror where it's like oh like what is the extreme this can be taken to like how can it be used for evil instead of good well and yeah like the in the span of human existence 20 years is nothing like if this is how far we're getting in 20 years dude like i don't know man it's gonna- i'm con- I, i'm convinced ai is the next like we had the internet you know that was like a huge revolutionary technology and i think artificial intelligence is the next one like like we have com- first it was computers and there's computer there are computers in everything you know the microwave everything has a computer in it now right next it was the internet and now they're trying to put the internet in everything right so that you can control it all from your smartphone and stuff yep. mm-hmm. and then next it's going to be artificial intelligence and they're going to start putting artificial intelligence in everything mm-hmm. it's going to be crazy how much it'll change our lives i think yeah, you're going to be like, Alexa, like add milk to the shopping list. And it's like, oh, I, I also noticed that the fridge doesn't have these items. Would you like me to add it to the shopping list as well? And you're like, yeah, sure. And it's like, would you like me to order this as well? So it gets delivered. And it's like, how convenient it will be. But then it's like, what is the evil extreme this can go towards? I mean, there's both extremes though, right? Like there's the evil extreme. And then there's also the extreme where Alexa realizes that I didn't wipe good enough and takes care of it for me, right? Like, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I think I think AI. It's gonna. Uh, we were talking about min maxing earlier, and I think artificial intelligence is gonna do that. They're gonna they're gonna be better at min maxing than we are. They're already better at chess. They're better at. Are they better at Go now? I think they're better at Go now. Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, they just started winning Go. That was in the uh-huh. last few years that happened. So they're they're going to start min maxing stuff for us. They're going to solve problems that we could never solve um, with these mm-hmm. deep learning algorithms and stuff. And and I think that's going to be a good thing. the The tricky part is just making sure that the AI's goal is in line with our goal, right? Yeah, yeah like hiring men like, and women. Yeah, like yeah. did you post that? I I I just pulled it up just now. Okay. Yeah, because it was like. We designed an AI to like look at these like resumes and like do hiring, and it was like, oh, it kind of you know doesn't select women, and it's like, oh, that's not what we want to do. So they're like, all right, we did it again. We took gender out of the equation, and then I was like, oh, it's still doing that. <laughs> Hold on, and it's because there's these biases present within us that as we create this AI and tell it what to do, it's like, oh, well, they created me with these ideas, and it's like, oh, they're some reason bias towards women but i i'm a machine i don't know what bias is but i'm just using the data they gave me mm-hmm. and then it leads back towards that goal yeah i saw a twitter post by uh mark brown he's he's the one that does he does a uh, game makers toolkit and he he had like three examples like this one that you're showing where one of them was like an ai that hated gays and one of them that was like an ai that you know, this one that was favoring men over women in certain situations. And I don't even remember what the other one was, but he's like, he's like, AI isn't going to destroy the world. It's just a total jerk or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is, oh, it's funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does, it does pose an interesting, uh, you know, 
when we, when we talk about AI, AI is only as good as the data it's given, right? Like I, I specifically highlighted a comment here. They quoted the article and they said, it's apparently because the AI combed through predominantly male resumes submitted to Amazon over a 10-year period. Consequently, the AI concluded that men were preferable. It reported downgraded resumes containing the words woman, women's and filtered out candidates who attended women-only colleges. So it wasn't the AI's fault. It was the, it was the fault of the input that it was given. Mm-hmm. And there was a comment here that said... Uh, uh, there was a guy on NPR. They had a guy uh, on this summer who talked about input bias. So I think that's something that's going to become a bigger deal. It's like, what are you feeding the AI initially that's making it come up with these conclusions? And he, and he said, basically, if you show an AI pictures of dogs, like if you feed an AI like a thou- like thousands of pictures of dogs, right? And then you show it one picture of a cat, it's going to say, oh, that's a dog. Because it doesn't like it's... It, it has no frame of reference whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and he says it's kind of reasonable if you were taught that all small domestic fuzzy animals were dogs, then show them a small domestic fuzzy animal, it's going to think it's a dog as well. So, like, that, I think, you know, we're getting to the point where machine learning is starting to be more and more efficient, but I think the bigger hurdle to overcome is having a good data set to begin with. Hmm. And that, but but that's true of humans too. Like human, yeah. we're like we're basically AI robots. If you were born in the deep south and all your aunts and uncles told you that black people were evil, like that literally is going to be your programming, right? Like hmm. that, it, like the input, the data that you're given sometimes might be tainted, and and that will become your programming. So the same thing is true for humans is true for AI. If we're not giving it good garbage in, garbage out, right? Like that. And it, that's going to be a, probably one of the bigger hurdles that they're going to have to overcome with AI is like, you got to provide solid input. Yeah. It's the whole echo chamber issue too. Like you're saying, people are the same way they get, they get in their little echo echo chambers where everything they hear is exactly what they already think. And they can't hear any hear any opposing views, and so they they have input errors, or uh, what did it call it again? What did the what did the comment call it? Input errors, input or, bias, or input bias, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have this. Like you said, we have the same thing, and we just call them echo chambers. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the most recent thing I did for one of my human resources class, my teacher wanted us to take an implicit bias test and then reflect on it. Like, where do you think these biases came from? And like, how do you think they impact you? So he was like, go to this website. They have these tests here. Just choose two. And I chose one about the presidents and then the one for sexuality. And the sexuality one showed I had a greater bias towards straight people than gays. And I was like, wait a minute, but I don't hate gays. But the test shows that like, well, while you have these beliefs, your subconscious is making these snap decisions about what you think and mm. it's something you don't even realize so even though you have these ideas and beliefs over time that's really going to change like as you said the input of what you're getting so when you're designing a, an ai to do the job someone else is doing those biases are still going to be present uh, yeah yeah <laughs> 
I mean, I, I think, I think the further we get down that AI rabbit hole, like those, those things are going to start to matter more. Like we've got the, we've got the whole neural, you know, you talk about neural networks and you talk about machine learning. Like we've, we've kind of mostly figured out those parts, right? Like the nodes and how like over time, like as far as like conquering basic tasks, like the robot, we just watch jump onto a table or, you know, the AI learning to, you know, there's that, there was that one really cool one where the guy programmed uh, over like thousands of generations. It started beating Mario or, mm. you know, Othello or things like that. But the more nuanced stuff where you have to provide good data so it doesn't only hire men. So it, <laughs> so it doesn't have a preference over black or white or Asian or whatever. Like that's a, that's a, I think that's a little bit of a, that's a trickier problem to solve, right? Because those are those are human problems. Like if you yeah, cuz we have to solve those problems first. Right. We're the yeah. ones making the AI. Yeah, and, these are problems present in our society right. And they're now. learning and from us. Yeah, it's like we haven't solved these problems and we're trying to create something that doesn't have those problems. Mm-hmm. When they're yeah, they're nuanced. I mean, they're objective. Because if computers, you know, there, there's the whole, you can go back to the original iRobot or, uh, you know, the Matrix or whatever. If you if you look at the world from a completely objective standpoint, humans are a virus and we should be destroyed, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they, so if you, if you break it down to pure objective reality, that's not going to work. Like there's, there, how do you incorporate the human element into AI, the more nuanced aspects of it? So that that'll be that's going to be an interesting challenge. That's going to be a hurdle that we're going to face in in the coming years as AI becomes more and more uh, prevalent and utilized in the systems that we use moving forward. I don't know. I don't have an answer, but it's an interesting question. Anyway, moving on to something less interesting and just <laughs> annoying in general. Did you guys know that if you bought a physical copy of Call of Duty Black Ops 4, you're going to have to download a 50 gigabyte update <laughs> on day one? When you put that disc in before you can play the game, 50 gigabytes. Physical media has met its match. We're getting to the point where physical media cannot keep up. With the uh, the breakneck pace of the size of shit, <laughs> stuff's getting too big. And Blu-ray is just—I mean, what's I, is is there going to be another physical media iteration, or are we finally going to just give up on physical media and say now you got to download everything? Hmm, that is interesting. Because I know something I really enjoy about indie games is that they're always very low size, like 100 megabytes. And it's like, oh, download it, done in five seconds, get to playing. And I remember when I downloaded Doom 2016, I was like, wait, this is 80 gigs? (laughs) How long is this going to take me to download? And then you download it and you're like, wow, I see what takes up all the file size. But still, it's like so massive that it, it's not something that you can really think about other than just downloading it straight from their servers. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's especially now with uh, net neutrality getting pooped on, 
like there's data caps and there's data restrictions and there's all this stuff. Like one guy in the Reddit comments, he was saying, I have a 15 gigabyte data cap. So it's going to take him like three months before he can play the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm in California, so I'm a little spoiled. I think I do have a data cap, but it's like one terabyte a month. So I almost never meet, even with streaming and all the downloading and updating and stuff that I do, I've come close once, but for the most part, I have solid internet. I've got plenty of data. Mike, I never hit the cap, but there's people out there who, I mean, when you're expecting people to just be able to download 50 gigs after buying a physical copy, that's rough. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm actually pretty lucky. I'm on I've got really good internet here, but I'm worried because there's only there's only one internet provider really where I live. So <laughs> and nobody can really compete with them. So mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a mon- monopoly. So if they, you know, with net neutrality kind of dying off, if they decide to make some changes there, that could be that could affect my livelihood, you know? It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, yeah, because you're downloading and uploading videos every day and streaming mm-hmm. and all the stuff that you do. I did, Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's your job. I mean, that's your main source of income. Yeah. 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 Especially since since you're a residential home, sometimes these companies won't even let you, like, get a better service plan unless mm-hmm. you have, like, a physical office space that is zoned for business. Which then costs more, you know? Yeah. And then they, yeah, they charge you more for it too. Yeah. That's the, the problem with the problem with the idea of like a free market, I think with, with internet connection is there's just such a strong. It's not a free market. There's just such a strong established presence that you just can't compete with. You know, yeah, like the barrier they to have the infrastructure. Supply. It's all yeah. the, it all comes down to infrastructure. I had this conversation with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Wow, free market," and I was like, "Yeah, but they own the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Like that's the problem. It's it's not like you know, it, you can't just you can't just jump into it. You know, brand new. I want to start an internet service provider and then compete with them because they have." They, you know, the company here, they have unless they you have, have billions of dollars to f- build out like like Google, they may like they're starting to do the Google fiber thing. They're starting to push like they're starting to build more infrastructure and whatnot. But, yeah, it's not like I've got a taco truck and then, you know, John down the street opens his own taco truck to compete with me. That's like we're talking about thousands of miles of wires running above mm-hmm. and below ground that mm-hmm. I would have to build in order to compete. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. the, it's just not viable. So there's, there's monopolies because no one else can afford to compete with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why the argument for making it a utility came up like gas and water and electricity is because those monopolies are set in place by the government because they know two electric companies can't exist in the same place because mm-hmm. to compete, they'd have to drop the cost down to a level so low that neither would be able to actually afford the upkeep on the infrastructure. So the only way that service can stay alive is through a government monopoly. Mm. Whereas the internet, it's like they survive, but then they also 
charge everyone a ton of money. The service sucks. They have basically monopolies in a lot of rural parts of the country. The only places where, what's the word I'm looking for? Competition exists is the much larger, like concentrated population zones where you don't have to really build out that far because everyone is so close. Right. And who knows, maybe there will be technology that kind of helps with that, you know, like Mm -hmm. where we don't have to worry about wired or, you know, I don't know, but it's still, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Wi-Fi through the air. G5, bro. Yeah. I forget because I know uh, one of the, there's a city near me. Well, not near me now in Vermont, but back in California, one city actually does have that like city wide Wi-Fi. It sucks, but if you don't have internet, like it's better than no internet. Yeah, but like Ben couldn't do his job through that. Yeah, no, exactly. it's not not like the amount of data that I like the throughput. Like I'm running at what four thousand kilobytes per second, and then I'm downloading stuff all day long. I get thirty megabytes like down. Like I, my download speed's ridiculous. I mean, I mm. downloaded. Uh, I got a bounty for that game and I downloaded it in like 20 minutes and it was like 30 gigs. Like without my connection, I couldn't do half of the stuff I do. And I'm willing to spend, I spend extra for a speed boost. Like I spend over, I don't even want to talk about it, but I spend quite a bit more than I probably should, (laughs) probably more than most people do to get the pipes that I have. But there are places in the world that don't even have those options. And there's only one carrier in my area, <laughs> carrier mm-hmm. in my area. <laughs> there's only one carrier in my area that offers those speeds. So even here, it's not competitive. There are multiple carriers, but only one of them has the speeds that I need. Mm-hmm. And so I ha- I still end up spending way more because it, it's it's Comcast and it's AT&T. AT&T just literally doesn't have the speeds that I need in this area. The only yeah. person that has the speeds I need is Comcast. So I pay for their basic plan plus a speed boost just so that I can do what I do with the podcast, with the stream, with the games, with the, you know, Lady Navio watching Netflix while I'm streaming. Like I, it's the only option. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's really hard to say that the free market can solve a problem because it, it's there, there's very little real competition that occurs at that level. I think, I think maybe it could, you know, but it's like, how far out is that? And yeah, it's like 40 years from now or screw Mm -hmm. over first, you know, like, I just don't think it makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, especially when you're in an area like Utah, there's not a whole lot of demand for such high-speed internet. So they don't have an incentive to go out and give it to people that are really, like, willing to pay a lot more for it. Like, I know my friend Tropical, the building she's at, they had to run an internet line straight from the the node out, like, outside, like, in the in the street directly to her apartment because everyone else in the building, which are a lot older people in that area in Alabama, they're like, what do you mean? The internet's fine. But they only use it for like basic like email and like mm-hmm. web surfing. They don't use it for streaming. And then later it's like, well, fiber's coming at some point. But since no one else is really asking for it, it's like, well, how far is it gonna be here? Yeah. Dude. Uh I don't know if you know this, Ben. Uh is is iProvo still a thing? 
I Provo. Man, when I so when I went when I went to BYU back in my <laughs> Mormon days, uh, we had like whatever the local internet was, and then some dude came around with a clipboard and whatever, and he's like, "Yeah, it's a it was a city funded fiber line." And uh, and they were like, "Are you interested?" And we're like, "Sign us up, dude!" <laughs> like, because back then we were torrenting everything. Yeah, <laughs> like we were we were members of all the private torrent sites, and we were like, and we were in the basement, just like we were the biggest pirates. And they're like, "Yeah, there's this new thing coming to town. It's called iProvo. It's fiber directly to your house." And my parents owned the house that we were living in, and they were renting out the top floor, and I was living for free in the basement. It was like a duplex. And uh, and I was like, we're getting iProvo. And my roommate at the time, my friend Mike, uh, a good friend of mine, he, he was like, he like we, uh, yeah, we, we were like the first people in our neighborhood to get it, but it was a city-funded fiber line uh, to compete with like the local carriers and it was like unheard of oh. and the speeds were insane. So I, I don't know if that, if that held up or if that's still a thing, but I remember for a period there when I was in, in Provo, Utah, going to BYU, uh, we had like the fastest internet. Like it was, it was mind blowing how fast it was at the time. We couldn't believe it because it wasn't that much more. It was, it was still only like eighty bucks a month, and we were just like downloading movies and music by the truckload. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like where I live, I I have fiber, but I literally picked this spot um because we built our house here, and I picked it because I knew it had fiber. <laughs> Um, cause not everywhere where I live does, but when, when, when my wife and I were living out in Orem, they had, uh, a fiber line called, I think it was utopia or something. I don't know, but it sounds similar to what you're talking about. Maybe they renamed it, but when I first, when I was um, living there, it was called iProvo. Yeah. I haven't heard of iProvo before, but I I was in Orem. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the whole Provo Orem rivalry. Yeah, I I worked in Orem. I used I when I I lived in Provo. I was going to school at BYU, and I would I would commute to Orem. I worked at a software company there called Fishbowl Inventory. So, uh, and people don't know this, but uh, Utah has its own little like mini Silicon Valley, like Provo Orem. Like, there's a lot of major software companies with offices there, like um, Silicon Slopes. Yeah. That's what they call it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. I worked that that was kind of my first foray into I was a soft I was a QA like I was software testing basically. I just sat there all day and tried to break their software and then report on it. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, that's crazy. Oh, by the way, I, I totally forgot to mention this. So I'm wearing I usually wear like I try and find something that's themed to my guest. Like we had tropical moisture on last week and I had like a tropical shirt on. I'm wearing a white shirt. That's not uh, what we're reporting about. What we're reporting about is the shorts because I have a nice shirt on. I'm wearing some basketball shorts, but check this out. Do these colors look familiar? I can't see the colors. Yeah, let me see. Oh, Oh no! <laughs> oh geez, blue and gold, baby BYU. Oh no! <laughs> I bought these shorts while I was going to school there. 
I bought them my at wife, the gym. My wife would be happy. <laughs> did she go to BYU? Yeah, she did. She did. Uh, I'm trying to remember their fight song. <laughs> I used to know it by heart. I, I, I would sing it if I could remember it. But, uh, yeah, I have good memories there. I bought the sports pass. Like, they had this thing at the time when I was there where you could buy a sports pass. It was a stu- – only students could buy it. And uh, what it gave you was access to all of the sporting events, but you had to sit in a specific section, and they would group all of the sports pass people together. Huh. So, like, uh, you buy this pass, and you get – so you get to go to every football game. You got a ticket to every football game, but you would sit with all the other sports pass people. But they would, like, change where that section was in the stadium, but you were always with the same group of people. I got to go to all the football games, volleyball games, whatever, and, I, like, I got to know the group of people because we were always going to games together. And I have, like, a lot of really fond memories of, like, you know – BYU football games and they have a really a lot of people don't know this they have like a nationally ranked like top three volleyball team like mm. their their men's volleyball team is very well known hmm. yeah but, I didn't even know that yeah no <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it. I was only there for a year I played for their drum line and it, it was fun it was it was other than having to shave they have very strict uh grooming policies for men you can't have hair down your neck. You can't have any facial hair. My friend was an English major, and he had a beard. And uh, he realized that the only places that they check your facial hair was uh, at the testing center at the and at the gym. Because once he got past like his first couple years of classes, the upper class teachers didn't care. So he's uh-huh. like, I just don't go to the gym, and um, I don't. Ha- I, most of my tests are done in class. I don't have to go to the testing center. So he got away with having a beard for like two <laughs> or three years at BYU. But usually, that's mm. uh, usually that's unheard of. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't really like- interesting because I know when you brought up BYU, I was like, I hadn't heard of that, so I did quick Google, and I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Dude, their business college, the BYU business college is like like a top five. Like their BYU, their business program is insanely good. Mm, and their music yeah. programs are like I was an honors music major when I first started going there. Like Mormons know how to do music. Like I, every Mormon I know either plays like one or two instruments or they're like amazing singers or like it's just you're raised with it. And, and their, their college music programs are really, really like top notch. For realsies, Motab represent. <laughs> it's a it's a good college. I'll say that for my wife. Not not for me though. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it it seems like if you're really really Mormon, then it's perfect. But if you're not, then probably look anywhere else. Yeah, in fact, I got a lot of funny looks. I got a lot of stares. Uh, so in one of my classes, I think it was an English class. And uh, we were supposed to write an argumentative paper, which means like you pick a topic and you choose a side and you argue that side. Mm. And uh, the topic I chose was music piracy. And the side I chose is why it's a good thing. And I, and, and for, <laughs> for my presentation in class, I burned a CD full of awesome music with a handout, with a paper handout with like a bunch of notes. And uh, I handed them out to the class and I gave my whole report about like promoting piracy and how it's actually good for like smaller artists and how it doesn't hurt larger artists. And like, and like the teacher was, 
<laughs> I just it, it it was a very mixed response. <laughs> I, I, I should look that up. I still have it. I should it find was, the Word document. It was very well argued, though. Like, you couldn't argue. It, it, I was very proud of that paper because I walked away from it like, yeah. But even though, like, it was frowned upon by most of the culture, I, I felt mm-hmm. good about making some Mormons uncomfortable in the classroom because I argued that piracy was a good thing. It was probably the most memorable. <laughs> I was proud of myself, but I was always kind of that guy who was trying to like make waves and, you know, cause a ruckus. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I only went there for a year. No, I think it's good. <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah. Sometimes you got to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, uh, I think that we, we covered everything that I was hoping to cover tonight. Do you guys have anything that you're, is there anything weighing on your soul that you want to discuss with us or uh, any more questions, James, that you have for your, uh, your inspiration for game dev? Your set, you you admitted he was your second inspiration. You found someone before him. (laughs) I did. So it doesn't make videos anymore. (laughs) It's a different time. Mr. Fancy Penguin. I'm going to have to look up Fancy Penguin. Is Fancy Penguin still around? He isn't. No? Hasn't uploaded in like years. Sad. Mm-hmm. Do you know that name, You Heart Beast? Is that a name that make that... Mm-mm. No. Yeah, he, he was pretty small. Like the, His highest video was only like a thousand or so views. I may have seen some of his stuff before, but I don't, I don't recognize the name. I know most of the <clears throat> the current the current tutorial creators um there's a lot yeah, of like really sean. good ones sean friendly cosmonaut she does some really good ones pixelated uh, pope mm-hmm. yep pixelated pope there's just a lot of good there's a lot of good tutorial creators out there that are you know i think everyone learns a little bit differently and everyone mm-hmm. kind of has their favorite tutorial creator that teaches in a way that works for them to learn better and i think that's awesome mm-hmm yeah, it's absolutely true. Not everyone learns the same way. Uh, I tend to be... I would say I'm more on the audible spectrum, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not... I, I'm not so much a visual learner, but I can listen to a podcast and, like, just consume, like, 90% of it and remember it. Mm-hmm. Mm. But like a teacher drawn some stuff on a chalkboard and I'm like, hey, I, I'm paying zero attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I, I wish I was like that. For me to really learn and soak in the information, I have to listen while either writing it down or recording it at the same time. Like in my dresser behind me, I have like my cost accounting notebook and it's just pages and pages of everything my <laughs> cost accounting teacher has said because it's very technical dense. And if I didn't write it down, I know I'm not going to remember it because it's just so much. And I found that when I don't write something down and I tell myself like, oh, I'll remember that. I never do. But when it's written down, I can recall the memory of me writing it down. Hmm. Make those connections. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But I, 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 I definitely, but that going back to the original point, it's good to have 
lots of resources. That's why, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't understand the whole competitive nature of, like, when uh, someone came to me recently and they were like, hey, I was thinking about starting a podcast. That wouldn't You wouldn't be mad if I started my own podcast, right? Like, they thought that I was going to be like, no, how dare you compete with me? You know, like, mm-hmm. and I was just like, no, because, like, you're going to have a completely different approach. You're going to touch certain people in a different way that I probably wouldn't. Like, the, to me, the more the merrier. Like, everyone should start a podcast. Everyone should make YouTube videos. Whatever it is that, like, if you feel that you have a message to share with someone, like, get it out there. Because it's going to connect to that one person or those, you know, whoever it is, someone someone will benefit from it. Like, the spread of information is never a bad thing. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want anyone yeah. to ever feel like, oh, no, there's already a video on that. Oh, no, there's already... The, his pod, that his podcast, he's already doing that. I'm not going to do that. Like, nah, just who cares? Even if, even if you only, even if that one person, you never know. Like, you are, uh, or Ben, you were saying that like recently, someone like they're in the they're they're on the verge of releasing a game on, you know, Android or iTunes or whatever. You never know who you're going to touch. It could be, it could, it could very well be the next. Fucking Steve Jobs or whatever. Who knows? That'd be crazy. <laughs> but yeah, inspir- inspiration comes from anywhere. He's like, I remember the, the teachings of a guy on YouTube, Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like I tell a lot of people, there's an audience for everything. Like no matter how niche it is, there's always going to be an audience just because of how big the population is and how easy it is to find that information. What is the population of the world right now? Like 8 billion. It's in the millions. There's, Mm -hmm. there's someone out there who's going to be like, Ooh, this is the video I needed. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder how much, I wonder how much of that population has access to the internet. Oh, it's growing day by day. Yeah. My, I have, I have an old video that I cannot take off of YouTube because (laughs) every day it gets hundreds of hits from India. What? <laughs> like has I, a very large growing market of internet people. Like it, it's it's almost a quarter of a million views. I have this one video that like I I tried to take it down once, and then just like my all my numbers just plummeted because it's like it's a specific tutorial about a specific thing, and huh. it has a very specific market, and I it I just I have to leave it up now. <laughs> so you never know i don't know and i made it in college it was just like i had some friends who were like hey how do i do this and i had so many people kept asking me the same questions that i made a video and i just left it on youtube and forgot about it for a few years and now it's like the video on that topic isn't that how uh who's that youtuber that has um the website for learning uh and he he kind of started off with math videos oh khan academy Khan Academy, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he has that same kind of story. Like he had people asking him how to do math problems, so finally he just recorded it and then put it online, and then realized that you know there were all these students in math class that needed help and would watch his videos, and that's mm-hmm. how his whole. I would not started. have survived advanced college algebra without Khan Academy. Like I watched, I, there was like concepts in that class that I just could not get my head around. And I watched like two or three of his videos and I was like, oh, makes perfect sense. In fact, I led a study group in my class late, like 
a couple weeks later, I was like, oh, yeah, you, this, this is how. And they're like, oh, dude, like you need to. So like I ended up having to organize a study group after class and I explained it to all of them. It wasn't because I was, I'm not a genius. I just watched the Khan Academy video and I was like, oh yeah, go watch this video. They're like, can we just have a study group so you can explain it to us? I was like, yeah, well, I, sure, whatever. <laughs> and it, like, I became, I became the source of knowledge on that just because <laughs> of Khan Academy had explained it to me so clearly that I was able to explain it to other people so clearly. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Like I, mm-hmm. that, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great resource. If anyone out there is struggling with math, go check out Khan Academy, mm-hmm. K-H-A-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have it. programming stuff and a bunch of other stuff on his website. Now it's, it's this, it's a whole like online learning system. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It tracks your points and progress and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like going back to India, it's like by the, most recent estimates that we have it's like only 15% of their population is on the internet and they're one of the like if not the largest but the second largest populous nation so just <laughs> having all that information out there to people that might not have the resources to go to like higher education and learn this but are getting an getting internet access they're going to be searching for this knowledge that's always going to be there yeah, and a lot of, like that goes back to the whole thing we were talking about. Uh, just to close us out, when it when we were talking about the ability to self motivate, the resources are all readily available now. We're in a time in the world that has never existed. Like I, I have a friend, one of my good friends that I've known since high school. Uh, he didn't graduate from high school. Like I've known him that like he, he moved out and he taught himself how to program entirely just from internet resources. He's Google. He's sorry. He's contracted jobs with Google. (laughs) He's contracted jobs with Google. He's contracted jobs overseas. He, he makes six figures. He travels wherever he wants to travel and he taught himself everything he knows from online resources he has no formal education whatsoever in any of the stuff that he knows he was able to completely teach himself everything he knows from the internet and it's possible if you have the time and you have the patience and you have the motivation and the passion the resources are there Mm -hmm. and that's exciting like that it's never existed the the availability of knowledge that we have today that's the only reason universities even exist like people argue like do we even need universities because like before the internet the only place you could learn that stuff was to go to a place that had that stuff but do we need that it's questionable i mean you know ben you have an associate's you don't even have a four-year degree and you're making a living doing that stuff i think it's going to be more and more common yeah Mm -hmm. exactly especially in the field of programming where it's more what do you know rather than oh i have a paper that says i know this Mm -hmm. like maybe in the more traditional fields like i'm in accounting that's very much oh you better have a degree if you have a cpa that's like you're seen as this above figure you've gotten this license like that's very much gonna like be here for 
until accounting ceases to exist. But all these other stuff where it is more self-taught and experience, that's definitely going to see a rise in people not necessarily going to these traditional institutions. Yeah, obviously, we're not going to want want doctors that learned everything online <laughs> Yeah, from who knows where, right? Brainsurgery.com? Brain <laughs> yeah. It's like, I spent 80 hours on the website, sir. I haven't <laughs> qualified in my practice. Yeah, no, I mean... Hey, let I'm, me just Google search this procedure real quick. <laughs> I'm sure there's a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> obviously, we're talking more in the technical fields. When you're talking... Like, yeah. there are certain things that hands-on experience cannot be replaced. But there's a lot of fields where you can just go online and learn it yourself. I, I, I repaired Lady Navio's garage a few years ago just by watching a YouTube video. That's dangerous. Like her garage door opener stopped, or like the, the mechanism that opens the door stopped working. I found like exactly how to fix it. And within, you know, went to the hardware store, bought the grease and the replacement part and did it myself. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, if there's a problem with your garage door and it has anything to do with the springs, hire a professional. (laughs) Or those springs will murder you. Did you get murdered by springs, James? <laughs> yes. No, but it's like, because my garage door had a similar problem, and my dad was gonna was gonna do something with it. So I was like, oh, let me look it up first to like like see if I can help you like with this repair. And then I'm doing all this research, and all of it is saying, do not do it yourself. And I was like, oh, why is that? And it's like the springs are under so much pressure. If you mess up. The springs will shoot out and basically decapitate you. Ooh, nice. How much pressure they're under. So it's like, just hire a professional. They'll deal with it. They know what they're doing. <laughs> Probably a good call. Like a Dark Souls boss. <laughs> <laughs> but how hard can it be? Oh. <laughs> I like that reference. So, so the takeaway for tonight boys and girls, is that uh, Garage Door Springs are like a Dark Souls boss. Do not challenge them or you will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Well, you Heartbeast, a.k.a. Ben, uh, thank you so much for being here tonight. Make sure everybody, you go check him out. He's got a website. He's got a YouTube. He's got a Twitch. He's got all the things. He's got a Twitter uh, he's a very knowledgeable individual. If you are, have any interest whatsoever in game development or pixel uh, design, uh, pixel art, that's the word I was looking for. If I forgot the word art for a second. Uh, <laughs> go check him out. I think it's, it's worth your time. Super nice, super knowledgeable. Uh, he also has a Patreon. For $10 a month, you can pick his brain. You have direct access to the man. He has a private Discord that you have access to if you pay $10 a month. He will answer your questions for you, whether they are game-related, whether they're pixel art-related, whatever it is. Go check him out. And uh, on that note, we're going to probably call it a night. Uh, you Heart Beast, anything else you want to say? Anything you want to plug? Nope, that's perfect. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been It's been a good time. It's been awesome. Yeah, so by Friday, this will be up on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the stuff. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing tonight, make sure you go check it out. James28, any parting words? No, I think you covered everything, as always. Awesome. All right, so I think I was I was kind of snooping, 
on the uh, on the Twitch. I think we're gonna go raid Wildling. But if uh, James and you Heartbeast, uh, if you guys want to stick around for a minute after the stream ends, we're just gonna do one or two little screenshots so that uh, Frost has some good. Uh, we do we we like to have good thumbnail pictures of you for the uh, for the YouTube channel. So. Thank you, guys. Everyone have a good night. Don't forget, tomorrow is my birthday marathon stream for my regular viewers out there. Hope you'll come join me. I think James is going to come hang out. We're going to play some games. It's going to be a great time. All Mm -hmm. right, guys. Have a good night.